Hey, welcome to the 287th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony. This is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I just recently uh, talked about X-Men The Hidden Years by John Byrne. So I, I think I did like the first seven issues. So you can hear about that uh, X-Men going to Savage Land before Giant Size X-Men. Really cool look back. Uh, and we'll probably come back to the series at, at some point. Um, and this week, I think I'm going to do talk about the movie this week. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. So I am still recovering from being sick. My throat has just been out of whack, and I don't I don't know what what, what the deal is. And it's it's been annoying. So every once in a while, my throat just... Uh, but you don't hear, I don't hear about that. Doing the best I can to make it through. Uh, this week, the <laughs> the movie feature is Cocaine Bear. There's there's nothing else opening up, and so we went to see that. So you can hear all about that. Uh, and then we have more uh, The Last of Us uh, from not this past week, but the week before, because we're like a week behind because it comes out on Sundays, all that. So you can hear about that. Servant, uh, The Flash. <laughs> yes, I'm laughing when I think about The Flash. Uh, Star Wars Bad Batch and uh, Star Trek Picard. So uh, let's get on with the news. Interesting news this week. Stephen Ewan, Ewan from The Walking Dead, Glenn, he is going to be in the Thunderbolts movie. Uh, he's supposed to be a significant role. They haven't specified what, obviously. So I'm just really curious, like, who could he be? And it, it's supposed to be a role going forward in, in future films at MCU. So it's not like, oh, he's going to be, like, this government agent. He's going to be, like, the mayor of the city, and then, you know, you're not going to see him again. I'm just trying to figure out, like, who he could be. <sighs> I, I mean, just to make to state the obvious, you know, he, as an Asian actor, you know, this, this one, it's, it's awesome. And he, he's, a, he's a great actor. So the question is, is he playing an Asian character or is he just going to play some, I can't even think of like who you could get, like who, who is like, like, let's say he's going to be Atlas. I'm, I'm, if I'm thinking about Thunderbolts, you could cast him as Atlas, change his race. See, for me, I mean, I know Atlas, he's a big part of the Thunderbolts if, and hopefully you know what I'm talking about. You've been, you've read the Thunderbolts. Other, If you're just a cash, if you're not familiar with the comics, you're like, who the heck are you talking about? I mean, Atlas is a big part of, of the Thunderbolts. You know, he's, he was there from the beginning. He was, he was around. I wouldn't have a problem with that. And I know sometimes I, 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 I have a problem with when they, they change the race, or the ethnicity or the gender of characters, because I feel like they should be what the source material is. I also, understand that the source material is mostly white dudes and we can't have that so yeah i'd be fine with that just don't cast him as like baron Zemo. whatever you have baron zemo um i i'm just i'm really curious and and um i got to interview him. I, I was so lucky i got to interview him at i think it was like the first c2e2 
for for the Walking Dead. It was horrible lighting in the room. I was, I was so bummed with the, the way that the video came out. I mean, it was fine. It's just kind of dark. It wasn't. There's no light on the camera because uh, we're like rookies or amateurs, amateur hour when you're recording it. But he was like super cool guy. I, I'm re really excited. I'm excited for him and excited for Marvel. And of course, you know, people, <laughs> certain people are like, like, oh yeah, there's no actors in the Marvel movies. It's all about the characters. It's like, no, there's so many like talented actors in these roles. Like everyone wants to do it. I saw someone, someone like a, it was weird because when this, I think it was trending on Twitter or something like that. And, you know, someone's like, oh, this is really cool. And something like that. And it's someone else is like, oh, you know, the Marvel movies are like jury duty for actors. It's, it's kind of like, you know, everyone has to do it. Or something like that. It's just like whatever. Get over it. It's like the movies are fun, and that that's that's all that matters. Mandalorian. Oh, Mandalorian starts this week. I didn't mention that. No, no, sorry. <laughs> it starts this week, coming week, not last week. I was like, wait, I'm going to talk about the Mandalorian. No, I'm not going to talk. I'm talking about the Mandalorian next week. I'm going to watch it this week after this. <laughs> but anyways, John Favreau, he doesn't have a a planned editing ending for the Mandalorian. Like, but he, apparently. All of season four has been written, and and he's he's kind of looking at it as, as he just wants to tell these stories, and you know it, he's not looking at like an end game for this, which which is fine because you know why do you have to go there? You know if the series ended with the season four, the, why why do you have to like end a character? Like maybe he could pop up somewhere, and even though he hasn't been in the movies, like it, it doesn't matter because he's just doing his own thing. So I don't know. Um, kind of big news maybe I don't know. Not for me. Warner Brothers New Line has they've confirmed that there's gonna be more Lord of the Rings movies. I so I get that the the Amazon Lord of the Rings I think that's like a so separate thing. The rights were somehow split, and I don't know if it's based off of certain errors. I I'm not a, a Tolkien expert at all. I I know like nothing about it aside from the movies. I tried reading the, the first book. I just, I couldn't get into it because it just felt so dated. Whatever, and and I'm not trying to knock it. I know some people love it. That's awesome. I, I would love to to read the books, but I just I just couldn't get into it. And and I think it also goes back to that bias I have against old timey stuff. I don't like medieval, you know, old. I like current or future, you know. I don't know. It's just little little thing hiccup I I have. And I I still haven't finished the 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 Amazon Lord of the Rings. It, it was fine, you know. I, I was curious about it, but I just I I just, I just fell off. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think they doubled up on episodes at one week or something. I just ran out of time and I just I stopped covering it, and apparently it didn't seem like it affected like anyone. No one commented about it, so um, I, I would like to go back and watch those too. But I don't know if if I will. So they're going to do more movies. I and I'm I'm wasn't really clear if they're going to. I don't think they're going to try to redo the three movies that we've seen but they, they talk about like going deeper into like the world and stuff so i don't know if they're saying that we could go back and, and cover that story but flesh out more things which is like are you serious if you're gonna do movies i mean if you're gonna do a tv show yeah i can see that because i mean those movies were long enough as it is even with the extended versions and it's like you you feel there's more it's like how many movies can you do and you know when you're casting actors you can't do you know actors usually only will do like three movies or then they, you know, they start to get older and they want to do other things, you know, so I, I don't know. And there's apparently, they're also talking about doing like an anime film that's set like, I think it was 260 years before The Two Towers. All right, great. Uh, I mean, yeah, doesn't really, doesn't really matter to me. Uh, Rogers the Musical. 
so from the Hawkeye series. Apparently, that's going to be playing at California Adventure at Disneyland. Uh, so you, you can see that. It's supposed to be like a like a short little thing. I'd like to go. I really want to go to Disneyland at some point, but it's just so expensive, and I don't know when that'll happen. A Dead Boy Detective. So I we're looking forward to this. It was, it was going to be on HBO Max. It's not happening at HBO Max anymore. It's going to be at Netflix. They sold it. So Warner Brothers, you know, they're looking to unload a bunch of stuff. And I don't know if it's because they're trying to focus on what they're doing as part of this, like, DC Cinematic Universe, what, you know, James Gunn and, and Peter Safran, is that his name? I keep forgetting his name. So I don't know if they're trying to say, like, okay, what we're doing is under this roof, under this umbrella. It's all connected here. And then if you have something else that's DC related, they're like, but but see, that's not the case because they have the Joker coming out or Joker 2 or whatever. I don't know. But they're that's fine i mean put on the only problem my concern is like if it's going to netflix does that mean it's, it's only gonna last a season and then get canceled the only kind of cool thing is you know we have the sandman at netflix and they're kind of not really a, you know totally related but that boy detectives did appear in sandman you know first appear in there so ho- hopefully they'll be able to make do something cool with it um hbo max also uh has a ordered welcome to dairy series welcome to dairy did i say that right it prequel um this is like old news but i i saw it's like breaking news i i guess what it is because they had the pilot they talked about it but now it's like official so that's the breaking news that it's actually going to happen i i love it i i don't know i feel like the second it movie they talked about pennywise's origin like when he first moved there you know when you're at that old ladies that creepy old ladies apartment i'll watch it for sure uh, i just wonder who they're gonna get are they gonna get what's his name Skarsgård? or are they gonna you get someone else so something's killing the children great comic that I, I i feel i feel horrible i'm so far behind and i gotta figure out what the last issue i read was because i really dig it. it's a really really cool comic uh it's was supposed to be a Netflix show with Mike Flanagan. He was going to be in charge of it, but then he kind of like left the series. I don't know if it was just like production stalls and stuff like that. And and now, you know, he's no longer at Netflix, but Netflix is, they have the creators of dark are, are doing that. And they, they just did 1899, which I was really curious to watch that show. It, it looked kind of interesting, kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't even hear anything about it. Then when I saw it, I was like, Oh, this looks like it could be cool. And then it got, gets canceled after one season. So then I'm like, well, why should I watch it then? Um, so despite that, because, you know, they, they have, I don't know if it's like a six-figure deal or whatever, which doesn't seem like much. Uh, they have some sort of deal with, with Netflix. Hopefully uh, it, this works because it's a great series. And I, I feel like there's there's a lot that they could do with that. So I, I would love for that to be like a successful show. And and I don't want to get, you know, start watching it. And then it's like, oh, it's canceled because it's just, that sucks. Uh, Hugh Jackman was talked talk, like playing Wolverine has damaged his throat because I know he had to have like throat surgery, right? Because I remember the whole thing, the, the big thing when they're like casting or getting ready for uh, the Greatest Showman, where he had just had like no surgery or so. I think I thought it was something. I don't think it was voice related or, or something, and he wasn't supposed to sing, but it's like he couldn't help himself and he just starts singing and it's like very emotional and all that. But apparently, playing Wolverine, I don't remember Wolverine yelling a whole lot. I mean, it's just a growling and a snarling, so he's gonna have to hold back a, a little bit and then Deadpool. But I, I'm just I'm glad he's coming back. I think it's gonna be cool. Um, if you're looking for forward to House of the Dragon, uh, the HBO whatever CEO 
predicts it's going to be back in 2024. But so I, I love the fact that they're not sure. And and I what what I love about that is don't you know don't rush it. Don't say okay we need it by this date. It's just like okay you know we need to write it. We need to film it. We need to do the production. Let's when it when it's ready it's ready. And so they're they're hoping that I think they they made a comment that it's not going to be eligible for the Emmys because I I think I don't know I get it it's it's like I don't know how how the window works but I think stuff needs to air before May of the year so if it's after May it's not eligible I don't know if if it's something airs in June is it eligible for the next year because it can't just be like oh, if you want to get an Emmy Emmy you your whatever your show has to air between January and May otherwise you're out of luck because that that just would be stupid. So we'll see. Um, I, I surprisingly liked the, the first season. You know, I, I, I still haven't finished the original Game of Thrones, and I would love to at some point, but it's just time. I feel like I have time for nothing. Um, Tom Hardy is not going to have much time because uh, Venom Three pre-production has started. <laughs> oh my god! I just, I just did not enjoy. Let there be carnage. I love Tom Hardy. I just think these movies are just so ridiculous. I'm really, I'm curious where they're going to go after, you know, however it ended. And I don't even know what they're doing. (laughs) Um, Also, I don't know what they're doing is I I don't remember if I mentioned this last week or not. Hellboy is coming back. Another reboot. I can't get excited about this. I think because with the, the, the last movie, I thought it was fine. You know, a lot of people just did not like it for some reason. And it was just disappointing that, you know, we, we get this new, you know, version of Hellboy, you know, and everything like that. And then that was it. You know, it just, it didn't work. It didn't, didn't continue. And I guess I'm kind of looking, it's like, well, is the same thing going to happen again? I mean, is it just people aren't ready for Hellboy? Because like the original Hellboy, you know, they're very beloved and everything like that. I don't think they were like huge blockbusters or anything. So I don't know. But Mike Mignola is going to be writing, you know, the, or is the story, working on the script or something like that, you know, for the Crooked Man. So I'll, I'll, heck yeah, I'll be there to watch it. I'm just, I can't get excited over it because I just don't want to get let, I don't want to get my hopes up, I guess. So awesome when it, when it happens. Rosario Dawson thinks that Ahsoka will come back in the fall of 2023 or the comeback will, will air this year, this fall. And it's funny that that's that's like the headline that she thinks that it's gonna be. I mean, I I guess if anyone she should know, you know, you got the the main actor involved in the shows. Like, hey, when is this gonna air so I can tell my mom or you know something like that? Or like, we think it'll be this, but again, you know, don't rush it. I saw something about the the video effects, uh, special effects um, people for Ant Man. They're talking about like why there is apparently not great like special effects in the movie which i didn't even notice it maybe i was just maybe i was just so like tired or whatever or just kind of out of it and i people i'm sure people complain about it because people complain about everything it looked fine to me but maybe i just wasn't nitpicking enough or i was just absorbed in a story to i don't know but they were saying how they, they were rushed and overworked and and I, I don't know if that's a problem but but that's 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 that is a problem when you have these big things it's like okay we have this deadline we have to get it here and maybe to rush and overwork but i don't know i don't lay any blames you know it's it seems like i know i look at like the way students work and this is a totally different example you know when like these students i know they have like a big essay or project due and you know they know they're going to get it done but i just think in in general you know you you tend you work at your pace 
and especially like, like, oh, I have all this time, you know, I can just do this. And then as your deadline gets closer, you're like, oh, I got to pick up the pace and start. I'm, I'm absolutely not trying to say that that's what, you know, these professionals are doing, but, but I, I think, uh, but what I'm trying to say is I think it's good where if you don't lock it in, you know, do you, you want them to do a good job and they want to do a good job because that's their reputation, you know, that that's their, their name that's attached to whatever. So I don't think they're just going to like half-ass it and just like do whatever. And, and they know that, and, and, you know, maybe you do it. And I was going to say, you know, pay them when the job's done or type of thing, or you, but that wouldn't always work. Cause what if there's delays? What if there's a mistake or what if there's, you know, I don't know what I'm saying. Anyways, 20, 2024. 20, so that, that's just crazy that it's going to be so long, but guess it takes a while to go back in time and find these dragons and train them and all this stuff uh the last bit of news it's not really news i i, I this is all i have it's like i, I hate that i'm, I'm kind of ending with this james cameron <laughs> basically he's like it's like there's not gonna be any avatar spinoffs on disney plus or he he basically he wants everything to be theatrical i get it that that's fine everything but I just, I guess I wonder like, what's, what's his situation? Like how much power does he have over this? You know, he, I mean, how many, how much of the rights does he have is Disney Fox or whoever, you know, is it just distribution or do they own a piece of it? Because you know, obviously they're putting up the money to, to fund this. You know, I, I doubt he's like, Oh, let me, you know, cut a check and then, you know, you pay me back or, but it's just funny that he's just like, Nope, we're not going to do that. And, I get the whole vision, you know, the, the people are just like theat, the, you know, theatrical release purists or whatever, you know, they, it should be seen on a big screen. It should be done this, especially, you know, it's like, it's going to be filmed in IMAX, it's going to do whatever. He's got to have the best sound system. But that, that, that just seems like it negates or it, it, you know, it insults the smaller productions. It's like, so are you saying that the stuff put out on Disney plus is inferior? I mean, like Mandalorian is great. You know, the Star Wars stuff, Andor was, was great. So you're you're saying that it if it's not in the theater, it's garbage. And, and you know why not? If especially if there's so much, you know, because Avatar two was was pretty long, and if you could do like like how they're doing with some of the the Marvel stuff or whatever, it's like focus on a smaller thing, and you can explore the characters, develop this part of the world or whatever, in like five hours, six hours. You know, in a, a TV series where you can't really do that in a movie, although his, his whole thing was like, "Well, people would sit for ten hours. Why won't they sit in a, a four-hour movie?" It's like it's not the same, dude. Because you can pause, you can go to the bathroom, and get something to eat. Can't do that in the movie theater. It's like, "Hey, projectionists, they don't even have projectionists anymore. Can you stop the movie? That's gonna be. I'm gonna stop this because that's gonna be the news for the week. At uh, first, comics, uh, comic books, at Image, we had Black Coat. Black cloak. I almost said black coat. I think I did say black coat. Black coat cloak. I almost said it again. Black, I should edit this. Black cloak. I think it's a BL. That BL and a CL is messing me up. Black cloak. It's just a sound. I, I didn't notice it with the first one. Uh, issue two came out. So this is by Kelly Thompson. Uh, Meredith McLaren does the art. And this is okay. To, talking about my my old timey stuff, you know, I'm I'm a little eh about that, but I, I'm intrigued with this. Uh, it's it's a weird story. It's it's because I well technically I think it's not in the past, but there's some like the past like elements. 
Um, the synopsis is murdered prince, hungry mermaids, vengeful queen, plentiful suspects, dead assassin, dying black cloak. So far, this case is going to the devils, and it's super great that absolutely everything is on the line. No pressure. So we, we have this, the, the black cloaks, they're kind of like police officers or detectives or something like that. And we had this, um, we have these kind of, I don't want to say magical creatures, but, you know, we have mermaids and we have these other whatever. There's magic involved and, you know, some people have magic. So this one, there was this murder and it turns out it was like the prince and uh, the the lead black cloak detective person was actually like kind of engaged to this dude for a while. And, and she's like been sort of banned from her town or her keen or area or whatever and you know there's like all this controversy and so it, it's interesting seeing like the these little bits of information and as the characters develop and and you know seeing what what the past was and I, i'm just i am in, intrigued with this where you know normally if you were to kind of and i i think it's because of kelly thompson I, I absolutely love kelly thompson's writing and if if this was just like some random writer that i'd never heard of uh, I'd say I don't even know if that. I mean, yeah, obviously, I read it because it was Kelly Thompson. But if I'm maybe if it was just another writer, I don't even know if I'd be interested if it would like hook me enough because the premise itself, I'm just like, mm, okay, you know, that that's fine. But there's something about it that it's. Um, I'm I'm really curious. So I, I recommend it. You know, it, it's it's something a little different. It's it's not my usual you know cup of tea thing, but I, I'm I'm definitely in, intrigued with this. Um, what I'm also curious about is Infernal Girl red infernal go red this is book two this is a, a three issue series which is weird i i i always have like a weird um conception conception weird view on three issue series i feel like that they're they're not enough that it's like four issues like is what you need to tell a story when it's three issues you know it, it seems like it's just cut short but if this is book one that's fine you know because it's it's setting things up and you know we we there's this superhero known as inferno girl red and this lady was kind of like a reporter i'm a little unsure because it almost seems like this reporter lady is she inferno girl red because then where the story picks up is like years after that this reporter she's a little disgraced something happened whether it's her covering this superhero or something like that so she you know because she's trying to get a job and then we find out who she was and what she did before you know something like that so she can't really get a job she's dropping her daughter off it's a super like exclusive like super smart school and everything like that while they're there in town something happens and like the whole like city gets teleported away it's like in this big force field bubble like out in the middle of nowhere and there's these creatures are attacking and then spoiler the daughter somehow gets this like amulet and turns into infernal go red she's like what the heck's going on and she's got these powers and then her mom is nearby and, and she's actually instructing her telling her like giving her pointers because she was friends with the original infernal girl so she knows certain things but it almost seems like she knows too much so i don't know if i miss something where yeah she was infernal girl red or if i don't know it's 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 definitely an interesting story and um i think this is in like the the Kyle Higgins like Radiant Black universe adjacent type of thing because uh, Radiant Pink came out this week. I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead to that Radiant Pink issue three, I think it was. I haven't really read the other two, and uh, there's I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, it, it something just didn't pull me in with like some of the other Radiant series, and I don't know if if, if for me it's like starting to get too too many different Radiants, but 
I, I don't think that's the case. But I was like flipping through Radiant Pink, and uh, and I don't know if there was a connection to Radiant or to Inferno Girl, because uh, Radiant Pink can open these portals, and I think they like looked in a portal and they saw the city sitting there, and they're like, oh, oh, I'm looking at this other world, like you know what's what's going on here. So it's like, dude, you could like save all these people somehow, but I don't really know because I'm not reading Radiant Pink, so I, I don't really know what the what the deal is. But Junkyard Joe issue five, I'm really digging this. The I'm not sure how where the the, the story can go, you know, like the longevity of a series or something like that. But I, you know, I I feel like that kind of doesn't matter. So the idea with Junkyard Joe, we saw in the first issue, or was it a special where? dudes in vietnam and then there's this robot soldier that came and helped them but then something happened and it's like wait was the robot real did they that really happen and then the one guy and you know returning back to the states he ended up he was a cartoonist and he would do this comic strip about junkyard joe and it was kind of like sort of like a beetle bailey's of peanuts you know like just these characters and you know army jokies stuff like that uh, his wife, you know, he's he's old dude now, and his, you know, he lives in this outskirts of this small town. Everyone knows who he is. He's a famous cartoonist. His his wife passed away. Just you know, I don't know if it was cancer, or just old age. So he's been you know just kind of keeping to himself. And then uh, family moves in across the street. They have three kids, two two daughters and a son. And uh, some the the, the wife. His wife, I don't know if his wife died or I don't remember if, if she left them or died. And uh, anyways, what happens is Junkyard Joe re- returns to the cartoonist place. And he's like, well, Joe, he's like, you're real. He's like, I thought it was just a dream and everything like that. But to make things worse is there's like this evil faction. He's, it almost looked like, wait, are these robots coming after him? But then one guy's like, no, we're not robots because they're wearing like masks that make them look like robots. But they want junkyard joe back and these are the, the type of sort where they'll kill anyone that gets in their way because then when they the, the kids ended up being at at the house where you know they, they saw joe long story because we're at issue five now <laughs> and they're like just trying to go after him and the, the, there's like hunter in the wood they just take him out it's like they don't care you know, just just deal with them they want and they're gonna have to kill the kids they want to kill the kids because they just want joe back and but the just Jeff Johns and and Gary Frank, I mean, they're just such a great team. Brad Anderson doing the colors. I mean, I'm just I'm really enjoying this. And but like I said, the the premise of the story, it seems like I don't want to say it's basic, but it doesn't seem like just a whole lot. It's like what can you do with this story? And Jeff Johns is showing that you can do a lot with it because I'm like month after month when it comes out, it's like it's one one of the first books I I, I read when it comes out that week because it's like I'm just so intrigued and what's going to happen um there's a new series called local man and uh i i i enjoyed this it um kind of a surprise to say you know i didn't know anything about it but tim seeley and tony fleeks uh and uh so the synopsis stray dogs creator tony fleeks teams with revivals tim seeley for a series that combines rural crime noir noir and superhero action once the star recruit of the media sensation super team third gen Jack Xavier, it's X-A-V-E-R, had it all. But when controversy sends Crossjack, that's that's his superhero name, when controversy sends Crossjack crawling back to his mom and dad's basement in the Midwest, Jack struggles to fit into a world he left far behind. And then the bodies start piling up. 
each issue is a classic it is a classic image comics flip book with a lead story drawn by fleeks and a superhero flashback into the depths of the image universe drawn by Sealy. first issue contains 30 pages of story for only 3.99 so it's you know it's like it takes place in the image verse you know the, the shared universe and you know there's like mentions of i think like cyberforce and and some other characters so crossjack was like on the superhero team we get hints of the controversy that happened. So, you know, he's basically like booted off the team and everything like that. But it's, it's just, it's with the flashbacks that we see. And in the flip story, it's totally like nineties image, like superhero action. You know, there's even some, some images, some panels that, that kind of like mimic that. And, and then the fact that now he's back home and, and people know who he is. And I think they're aware of this controversy, stuff like that. So there's like a lot of people that just don't want anything to do with them. And they're like shunning him, but it's like, you know, what's he supposed to do? And so it's it's uh, I'm 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 just really in, intrigued with it. I, I didn't really know what to expect, but um, I'm definitely gonna you know continue reading that. So I would recommend that. Um, Magic Order <laughs> Four came out. I didn't realize this because Magic Order Four Two came out. I missed issue one, and um, oh, the the trade for three came out so you, you, it, it's you should check that out it's mark miller so you should read that um and then plush issue four this this is a weird weird series so you know we have these furries these people that dress up in animal costumes this dude he's having like it just uh, his, his life's he's engaged he finds out his wife's or his, his fiance's cheating on him um, his his fiance's father is like the sheriff of the town. It's like the small town, so you know, the sheriff is like very demanding and wants his own way and everything like that. So his friend convinces uh, him to, to go to this furry convention, and he goes out back, I think, to get some air. And then there's some some furries like eating someone. They're like cannibals, and then he gets kind of like pulled into it, and. Uh, you know they, they end up getting arrested and then they break out and there's like all this stuff so now it's like you know police versus the furries and so now this guy's with the cannibal furries and he's just like like what's going on and the, the sheriff is for some reason they haven't really stated you know everyone knows that the sheriff's daughter is cheating on this dude with this other you know deputy dude but the sheriff really wants his daughter to marry this guy. And I, it's not like he's like super rich or anything like that. It's like, I don't know what this is. He, cause he has this plan. He wants them to get married. And, and I just, I don't understand it. So now it's, it's at a point where he's like gathered up a bunch of the good old boys to go after these furries and, and they're doing it off the books. Cause one guy's like, are we going to be deputized for this? He's like, no, he's like, I'm giving you license to go to hunt people. It's something that, you know, you've wanted to do. So he's basically saying, go out and kill them. And, you know, because he just wants to be done with them because they disgrace the other officers and, you know, stuff like that. So it's just it's just so bizarre. And, uh, you know, the the art is just um, by Daniel Hilliard. It's just it's really interesting. Oh, I, I, that's that's a bad word. I, it just it it really it's so visual. And, you know, with Rico Renzi doing the colors, it's just I don't know. There's some, something about it. that's just it's so intriguing. It's so, so bizarre. But I just don't know what what to make of it. Then over at DC, we had Catwoman fifty two. So this is continuing with Selena being locked up, and I'm not really digging the Selena in jail storyline. And and 
you know, she feels responsible. You know, there's like an explosion in a warehouse when she's fighting uh, punchline. It's just she's blaming herself for something like that. And this lawyer comes in, and the lawyer's like, even like, like, dude, we know you're not responsible for this. You know, it was what's her name, punchline. I forget her her real name. And you know, they want to pin it on her, but Kat, Selena's just like she wants to take the blame and then she's working with you know some of the other women in the prison trying to like help them and train them and and then we have that other woman that's being cat woman outside i forget her name and it's just i don't know it's 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 fine but i'm just i'm not i'm not loving it but it's better than that that dude with the long hair that was kept coming that had like some connection to the jean paul valley I don't remember what that guy's name was. Anyways, we have Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, issue six. And <laughs> I, I I don't didn't love this issue. It's, you know, there, there's more huge death. I think that that's, that's part of the problem, you know, with, with all the God stuff. And then we had uh, Mix, Mixel Pitalik, you know, became infected. And now he's like this huge raging zombie. And, you know, he's fighting Spectre, who's, like, huge. And, and there's, like, all this destruction, people dying. And and I, I get that part of the appeal of these books is that, you know, you can kill off these characters. It's like, you know, no one's safe. Anything goes type of thing. But it almost gets to the point where it's like, wait, too many people are dying. There is a... the the I am in, intrigued with the, the ending. Uh, I don't know what I should say. So uh, Spectre doesn't... Um, let's, let's say Spectre doesn't do too well. And from the ashes, a new specter is going to be born. And I'm, I'm curious to see where that's going to go, like who this new specter is. So I was like, okay, we'll see. Flash 793. This is continuing the, the whatchamacallit, the, the one-minute war. Um, it's weird because this is just part four. It feels like this is way more than four issues. And I know we had the annual, I think it was an annual, where there is more to it. I just feel like, this is for a one minute war this feels like it's just dragging on it's it's fine uh i don't like the fact that spoiler i mean since it happened like in the first issue that i and and i'm only spoiling this because i don't buy it is that iris may be dead and you know so barry's like very sad it's it's cool that we have all the speedsters and everyone is apparently just constantly moving at super speed you know from this uh, so I, I now I'm wondering is like how much like real time has actually passed during all this because you know everyone is kind of like frozen in time and at one point you know they 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 get Superman and he's like you know he's like talking slow because he's trying to catch up with them and so basically you're saying well Superman's not fast enough which you know there's always been that debate you know how fast is Superman compared to the Flash but you know there's basically this alien race that's going around and trying to steal energy for people to power up their speed for stuff but it's just basically destroying all these wor worlds so they're just going around just obliterating everyone to steal less energy using people as like his batteries which just seems kind of dumb and and i i think at one one point someone that gets like oh you you destroyed this or you did this it's like dude you're decimating these worlds and you're getting mad because your device or someone got knocked out or something i don't know it's just it feels like it's going on too long but i think people are enjoying this yeah, I don't know. Uh, GCPD, the Blue Wall, issue five. This like took a quick turn. So what's been interesting about this comic is it's 
you know, because it's focusing on a GCPD, you know, we, we have like a lot of like, this is real. And, you know, it started with these three rookies that, you know, just became, you know, officers. And uh, one is uh, Hispanic or Latino, whatever preferred word is. Uh, one is Asian and one is black. And so we're, we're kind of seeing like from their perspective and, you know, there's a warning about like some of the language and the themes in here, you know, it's, it may be offensive to some people or whatever, because like the, the Latino guy, he's, he's getting all like a lot of flack, like just people just making fun of him, you know, just making racist, you know, like Mexican jokes and, and stuff against him, you know, just like hugely insulting. And he's just like really put off about this because, you know, he, he wants to be a police officer, you know, he, he wants to train, he wants to do the right thing. And, you know, part is supposed to be like, oh, this is just, you know, whatever. This is just part of, you know, becoming accepted. You know, you just give you a little hard time. And, but, and it's even, they're like, oh yeah, you know, no hard feelings. We're going to have a celebration because he did something. And then he was like, well, I was going to go out with my dad. He's like, oh, bring your dad there. And, and then they go to this bar and it's like fully decked out with like racist, you know, Mexican, you know, in, insulting imagery and, and, you know, just like tacos and beans or whatever. And so he ends up losing it <laughs> and he's, he's, he's like a vigilante now. He's like killing people because, you know, he, he's, he's just mad that he's like tried reporting it. And, you know, because like there was like a, a picture of him put up with like a drawing under and on a bulletin board and they're like, you know are we gonna like question every single officer because you know everyone had access to that there's no way to know who did it and so they're kind of saying that well that's just how it goes you know because he, he's, he's trying to report it like hr but there's like well there's nothing you can do that's just how it is which doesn't make it right but you know how can you narrow it down you know what 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 can you do i, I don't know what the answer is i mean it's not okay and you know he even tried talking to renee montoya and, and you know she's just so preoccupied with other things and um yeah so she takes like a personal blow against you know stuff happening and um yeah so it's, it's just it just it it got crazy because the the other two officers you know they had their own issues from different things just different pressures and you know different screw-ups that they you know you know took part in and you know they're they're dealing with those consequences and so it's it's definitely um it's definitely a book worth checking out and you know because if, if you're at the point where like oh you know whatever you know comic books are just i'm you know they're for kids or this or that you know it's so john ridley you know he's, he's a great writer and you know he he's he does a really good job cutting to like these real issues you know this whole racism in you know stuff like that and it, it doesn't really feel like preachy it's it's not really like oh you know racism is bad you know we shouldn't do this so it's it's like kind of exposing it bringing it out and it's it's almost like it's it's definitely going to make some people uncomfortable and it should because this is not okay so i i i really i do recommend this series i think people should be reading it and it's it's not something that you can learn from but it's something that you should be aware of that i don't know so and if some random person is reading this and then makes them think about stuff that they say all the better but i'm sure those people they're just going to dismiss it and be like okay whatever and then just continue with their racist thinking and then there's nightwing 101 um i you know I, i've been loving this series i can't say that i necessarily loved this this series and and part of it is you know so we have uh blockbusters 
kid. And uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Necron. I I, just, I cannot stand Necron. I think he's the biggest dork, wiener, weenie. And uh, so he wants the soul back. And he goes this one guy, um, the Smiling Man, or something like that. And so does the Smiling Man has ability to like just take the appearance of someone else and and like take their place? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it, it's it's you know we, we also have some of the titans here which is cool but i don't know i i think just the the necron and the smiling man dude whatever it just it was a little bit of a turnoff for me but other than that it, you know it's it's still good stuff then there was uh i i skimmed through wonder woman 796 more of this wonder woman versus the gods uh it's just it's it's not really doing it for me. Uh, then we have Batman Superman World's Finest issue twelve. This was it was a this was was kind of a not really a bummer of an issue, but it's it's mainly dealing with a, a date first date between Robin and Supergirl, and um, it doesn't go well. And so it's just it's I, I don't want to say it's disappointing for them, but it's like oh man, that's such a bummer for for these two and. It's like every possible thing that, not quite, but almost like every possible thing that could go wrong just goes wrong. You know, things just awkward moments and just this and that. And <laughs> so you feel bad for him. Then there's a, oh, I don't think I, did I skim through Black Adam? Um, yeah, I didn't read that. Uh, Superman number one. So this, this was a, this was a, a decent issue. Uh, I, can't say that I would, it didn't like knock my socks off there. My socks are still on, but it is, um, it's, it's a, a good direction. You know, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, things are semi close, you know, back to the status quo. You know, I, I love the, I, I absolutely adore, love the fact that Superman is back on earth and not in war world and his, you know, whatever outfit, but, you know, we have Lex is in prison and, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to help, Superman, you know, he's like saying all this stuff because Superman can hear him because he knows Superman will be able to hear him. And he's just like, you know, whatever. But one thing that's weird is uh, there's a new editor in chief at the Daily Planet and it's Lois Lane because I forget, Perry's somewhere, but her the door even says Lois Lane editor in chief. So it just seems weird that Lois would, would take the position. You know, she is a writer. And you know that's her thing is going out getting the stories, so it, it seems weird that she would accept the position of running the paper, which you know I'm sure she you know she knows what needs to be done everything like that, but that's not her strength. You know she wants to be out there digging out, getting the dirt, you know just uncovering the the truths, not sitting behind a desk and and making sure that this story gets done and gets sent down to printing and and, and so forth. So it just seems weird, and plus the fact that. You know the the whole kind of joke was that you know she was a bad speller. You know she needed an editor, and now she's the editor in chief. And you know so it's like someone else doing the editing, and she's just not doing that, and she's just making other decisions. So I don't know. It just seems like weird that she would do that when she's her strength is uncovering. You know, getting these this, these stories out. So, and but you know there was one point she's like, why did I agree to this gig? You know she she's questioning why why, she, why she's doing it. So. I don't know. And then um <laughs> there's some some more stuff with like a Lex and uh with 
he's really I don't know what his angle is, but he's he's really pushing himself on on Superman, and you know he's it's to the point where he's even trying to um, push like his resources, like like LexCorp, on, on, and Superman's like I don't want anything to do with this, but they're they're almost like kind of like trying to force his hand. So we'll, we'll see where, where that goes. And then there's Superman Space Age issue three. This Mark Russell, Mike Allred, absolutely. This is you must read this series you know so this is a the last issues and these are like like oversized issues and i normally have a problem with with that because it takes so much time to read when there's so many other comics to read each week but this has just been such a great series and it's definitely one worth adding to your collection you know like when the trade comes out i'm 100 getting it and it's just it's such a good story and and it's separate from the main continuity it's its own thing and it's kind of like like a crisis on pre-crisis on infinite earths and you know time goes by you know you see them like when they're it's, it's almost like real time happens and you know throughout these these stories you know when you see like young superman and meeting lois and then they get married they have a kid you know so like all this stuff happens within these three issues and you know world catastrophes and stuff with with, with lex and forming the justice league and so it's just there's just a lot here and it's just it's been it's probably like my my favorite comic of of the year i, I would say you know so far you know we're just i guess we're only in february end of february anyways it's 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 worth reading get one two and three lazarus planet omega issue one so this um more of the lazarus stuff and i'm trying to remember what specifically happened here so we have there's a lot of stuff with like black alice you know they're fighting the demons um and i just i i feel like that this has been going on you know so batman has been kind of in, infected so now he's of course he's kind of evil but it's like everyone doesn't isn't fully aware of that so there's like fighting some random demon i forget he's not random but i, I forget his name and i'm just i'm I'm just losing interest. I've I've been losing interest in that, um, but it's it's wrapping up because I think the next Batman versus Robin comes out next month, which is like where this kind of started from. Then there is Batman One Bad Day, Clayface. Um, I started reading this, you know, because it it's by uh, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. But as I'm reading this, one, you know, Clayface isn't necessarily my, my favorite character. You know, he he's he can be interesting and everything like that. But as I'm reading this, it you know, it's because it's focusing on Clayface. I'm thinking about like Clayface from the Harley Quinn animated series. And, you know, there's there's a lot of him, like the struggle, like trying to be an actor and everything like that. And it's just like I don't know if I just I, I care enough about Clayface to read. So I I I stopped reading it because I just I don't care about the character to read this 80 page plus whatever book about whatever hardship he's going because he wants to be an actor and he can't do it. And it's like, if if you're not good enough, you know, you got to have the skills to be an actor. And if you're not talented enough, that's, it sucks. That's how it goes. You know, it's like, you know, I, I like drawing. I'm not good enough to be a professional and I accept that. I'm not going to have a bad day over it. <laughs> I don't know. Over at Marvel, we had Amazing Spider-Man issue twenty, and uh, I, I just I love Terry Dotson art. I mean, it's it's great. Uh, more Spider-Man and Black Cat. You know, they they tried 
going to Scataway, they got mixed up. There's this stuff with White Rabbit and this um, weird evil training session stuff happening. And so are these bad guys killers? Are they not killers? Like what's happening here? So uh, there's some good stuff. And also little little comments between like the, the relationship, like, you know, what's up with Peter and Mary Jane? What's up with Peter and Felicia? So we, we kind of get a little, little closure on, on some things. Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, issue one. I, I, I feel like I should like this more I than I, I do. I, I'm not super crazy about this. And it was the same thing with the recent Excalibur issue, where when I first started reading comics, you know, I, I read some of the original Captain Britain comics. And, you know, I was really intrigued with all that, with the, even though that kind of has a connection to like King Arthur and, you know, Merlin and all that. It was 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 intriguing, you know, with the other dimensions, other world, and all, all that. And you know, then when Excalibur came out, I absolutely loved that, hundred percent. But with this, I'm just I'm not super crazy about it. And and I think part of it is how you know Britain is is so against you know mutants now, and then the fact that Betsy's calling herself Captain Britain. You know, some people are saying that she shouldn't be. And and then there's all you know, there's a lot of the sexist stuff that you know is like, well, Brian should be Captain Britain, which is just like whatever. And, and then the, the distracting thing is the fact that Betsy and Rachel Summers, Gray, whatever she's calling herself, are like a couple now. And I miss when this first happened. And I know it was in the Excalibur, you know, they, they were talking about it. And it just seems weird that it's the same you know thing that we, we've been seeing lately. Take these, you know, characters who have been established for decades, and then all of a sudden flip they're they're changing their sexual orientation because i don't think there's ever been i'm trying to think with rachel you know has she ever like really dated anyone before like wasn't i don't think there i thought there was for a while there's like rachel and, and kurt wagner which i thought was really weird because she had talked about you know when in her world you know when she was young kurt was there so it was almost like like an, an uncle you know taking care of her or whatever and then uh we know, I think, wasn't she with adult Franklin Richards at some point? You know, then he died. And, you know, there there's always this connection between them. And, and you know, so the fact is, you know, they're they're probably bisexual. And, and that's totally fine. I'm trying to think, who has Betsy ever dated? You know, when she was in Quanon's body, you know, it wasn't there the whole thing where she, like, had the hots for Cyclops. And there's, like, all this stuff going, even though Jean was in the picture. And uh, I don't recall like either of them ever showing the remote slightest interest in, in any other female characters. And then now they're a couple. It, it just, it feels like it's out of nowhere. And, and I, I'm all for inclusion and, you know, more diversity and all that. But it's like when you take established characters and then change them, that's where it just, it feels forced. It's one thing if you say, Oh, here's a new character. Oh, by the way, you know, this, but when a character has been around for decades and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, by the way, then that's like, wait, what? So I, I don't know. And, and you know, it, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't really matter, but it, it just feels weird. And then, of course, they do this thing. And, and you know, I was, I was actually talking to someone about this the, the other day where when you, if you look at it, like the t- whole Tim Drake thing, when Tim Drake was dating 
spoiler stephanie brown you never had like the inner monologue like oh you know stephanie this or that or like that or like oh i want to hold her hand and then actual holding hands or kissing and stuff like that you don't really get that a whole lot and i'm I'm even looking like maybe it's peter and mary and felicia it's like okay there's there's i think there's a scene where they kiss or something like that but i feel like when you have characters who are gay that writers or editors or whoever feels like they really need to go out of their way to depict that, to show that, to clarify it, to establish it. So, you know, there, there's a scene at the end of the day, whatever Betsy and Rachel, they're lying in bed, you know, there's like no hanky panky or anything going on, but it's like, Oh, they're together. They're sharing a bed and they're hugging. And, but it's like, you know, when was the last time you saw Cyclops and Jean laying in bed, just talking or whatever like that. So it's just, it's weird that when, you have a gay couple that they feel like they really need to push the PDA to make it clear or just, and, and it's, it's a, it's a huge um, win. The fact that you can do this because, you know, just even a few years ago, this would be so taboo. It's like, Oh no, you can't do that. You can't show, uh, you know, a, a guy character and guy character holding hands or, you know, looking at each other, or even, you know, giving each other a peck on the cheek. So yeah, it's it's a huge you know win in terms of acceptance and all that, but it just feels like they're really pushing it, you know, shoving it in our face when it's just like okay, I, I'm okay with this, but you know, I, I don't see, I don't know. I mean, maybe Superman and Lois kiss once in a while. I don't know. They did kiss in the, the Superman. It just I don't know. Um, Immoral X-Men number one. I did not read because I, I don't care about the Sinister stuff. I just, I can't get on board with it. I don't care about Mr. Sinister. And the fact that this is like in the future, whether it's 10 years or however far in advance, everyone's infected. Everyone's been had like Sinister DNA injected into them. And I'm just, if, if this is a future to X-Men, then I'm done. But it's just, I, I can't read this imaginary what if story. I'm not going to read all these. There's already enough X Men series as as it is, and now you're doing all these X Men series to dealing with this possible future where Sinister is doing all this stuff. It's like no thanks. I, that's not for me. Uh, Peter Parker and Miles Morales Double Trouble Spider Man Double Trouble Issue Four the final issue. This has just been such a delightful book, and I know a lot of people don't like the word delightful and it's a turnoff, but uh, this has just been been a, a, a lot of fun so you have uh mariko tamaki um vita Ayeya, and guri hero doing the art it's just it's fun it's wacky and you know all of these double troubles because there's a spider-man and venom double trouble there's a thorn loki double trouble so i i i just i like these the age is nine plus so you know it's it's a little more for you know younger readers too. So you know the super cool hip adult readers will be like, oh, this is for kids. I, I can't read this. I don't want to read this. But I think it's it's nice to have that. I've been enjoying this Miles Morales story than recent Miles Morales stories in, in the regular comics, if if that says anything. So so this is just a lot of fun. It's just it's fun and wacky, which is it's okay to have it. You know, it's not real continuity, so it it doesn't matter. You know. If you want this, you have it. If you if you're absolutely against it, that's fine. Planet Hulk, World Breaker. I'm I'm having a hard time getting into this, um, and I think part also because this is like this is a future story, and you know, so it's not real, even though this is where it could go. 
but just seeing this destruction of this world and just devastation and you know seeing characters like at their end it's, it's just i don't know it's, it's not really appealing it's not really fun i guess you know you don't want to see like how the, the toll that things have taken but you know that's how reality could be like i guess i don't know then there's uh, Punisher War Journal one, War Journal base, whatever I think it's called, where we're you know we're getting all these one shots. It's like we have this Punisher story where you know the series where he's teaming up with the Hand and and we're delving a lot into his past. I don't really like how it's making it look like you know he was this horrible husband and you know maybe that was a, the the case, but it always seemed like. The, the thing is he was a family man you know he loved his wife he loved his kids they were murdered by you know this, they came across a mob hit in the in the park and then they were all killed and then that's what caused him to be, become the punisher now it's starting to feel like no he was always the punisher and you know because he came back from the war haunted and you know he wasn't really there emotionally you know he was still fighting the war you know fighting against you know whatever evil there was and, you know, it's hard for him to connect with the family. And there's a point where, like, the kids were scared of him. And that that doesn't seem like this, you know, the loving, you know, Frank Castle who lost his kids and wife. And, you know, he's so devastated that he just wants to punish all evil. Because there, there's one point where he, he comes across, like, some shady stuff in the neighborhood. And he decides to go after him. Because, you know, he, he still wants to be a soldier and he's trying to adjust to civilian life. So, you know, here's this opportunity for him to take out some bad guys and, you know, he's, he's all for it. But it's just, it's just, I don't know, it, it feels weird because not that we should have any sympathy for the Punisher. Because, you know, even though he's just killing bad guys and drug dealers and all that, you know, it's, it's so you shouldn't be killing. But now I, I feel like they're making him just like a, a colder killing machine. And it's, I don't know. It's just that. Uh, then there, there's She-Hulk issue 10. And uh, it felt like not a whole lot happened in this issue until like the end. You know, there, there's a lot of, of Jennifer just dealing with the fact that Jack of Hearts is gone. You know, so they, you know, he came back. Everyone thought he was dead. And uh, he's staying with with Jennifer. They basically started a relationship together. You know, she cared about him, and then she got attacked, and he had like power overload, and and he had to take off because he was going to explode or whatever. Because that's what happened before. And then he's just gone, and she doesn't know what happened to him. And you know, she's like, well, if he's dead, then he's gone. But if he's not dead, then why isn't he, you know, coming back and talking to me or you know, contacting me? So, you know, we just see her going through life and, you know, going to work and or stuff like that. And it's just, it, it just seems weird because, you know, we're, we're at issue 10. It's like how long they've been together. And she's just like really hung up on him. And she's saying how with, with Jack that he accepted her for her, you know, whether she was, was a, uh, you know, Jennifer or She-Hulk and, it, you know, it didn't matter. And, and, you know, she mentions when she was with John Jameson that he, preferred her more as she hulk or you know whatever even though you know it wasn't like a deal breaker type of thing so i don't know it's just it's just jen moping over jack and i i guess it just doesn't feel like they've been together long enough for her to care that much but you know i guess it doesn't have to be that way so i don't know and then there is a star wars yoda issue four so i've been okay with this series um this was was i i what i liked about this is we get some like uh flashback stuff with uh dooku 
So this was like way before the Clone Wars. This is like younger Dooku. You know, his hair is not even white yet. But you know, we're we're seeing some some stuff about him, and uh, and uh, so there's some some cool things there. Strange Academy um, Finals Issue Four, and uh, you know, we we have those the evil students are, are conniving with Dormammu, you know, ready to attack the the students, which I'm just like I don't get where that soul coming from. That that's just I, I think it's a little ridiculous. But we see the other students are, are getting ready. There's a storm headed towards New Orleans. So they're like, okay, you know, this is our city. We're going to help people. They're going to go, like, what can we do? And, you know, when they get there, people are like, uh, you know, they're freaked out. It's like, you have all these different beings or creatures or whatever. And they're like, okay, uh, yeah, we could use some sandbags here and that. So there's some, some it, was, it was a nice issue. And uh, just seeing some of the characters, like, development and, you know, realizing, like, what they're doing and, and so forth. But, it's just it seems weird how just some of them just turned completely evil but puberty i don't know and then uh there's thor 31 which i i couldn't get into this i started reading it and and the, the, the problem with this is this is see what's this a new arc packed with twists and revelations begins here so it's like okay i should read it right uh, the gates to valhalla are broken and the souls of all who inhabit it have vanished with the help of jane foster and odin Thor must find who has a power and audacity to disturb the final rest of Asgard's greatest warriors of all time and what it means for the rest of the Marvel Universe. Plus, this issue includes a special superheroic backup featuring Thor and Black Panther celebrating Black History Month. So my problem was, <clears throat> this is like a, one of those pure like Asgard stories, which is like the old-timey feel. And those are the type of Thor stories that I'm not super crazy about. So... It's just it was hard for me to to get into, and I just ended up not reading it. But um, that is going to be it. So that's I'm ending comics there. That's going to be comics for the week. Okay, Servant season four, episode six, Zoo. I I really like this episode. It it was way better than last week's, and I I know I I don't know if I'm being a little a little harsh on last week's episode, but just with the way things are, are amping up in some of these episodes and so this one anyways let's get to it so it starts off you know last week ended with the big earthquake big huge gaping hole down this the middle of the street outside their house from when you know leanne getting their you know the the cult people tried abducting her and so she just unleashed her power which i hope I hope we get some sort of explanation about her powers before the series ends. Cause I'm really curious about that, but it starts off with like a news report saying that the big hole in the street is due to severe negligence. So they're, they're trying to, you know, chalk it up to just something like that, you know? So I don't know if they're saying maybe there was an earthquake or if they're just saying, I mean, they got, they got to have to at least acknowledge that. Cause you know, they're in Philadelphia, you know, Philadelphia's not really known for earthquakes or whatever. So the mayor and officials are, are having talks about a potential evacuation order. You know, is it safe for the people there and everything? Cause I guess if you look at it, you know, if all of a sudden this big crack ends up in the middle of the street, what does it mean for like the foundation of the houses? You know, they're gonna have to inspect everything, but then this, we see this car like speed up the roll road, even though like most of it's kind of like blocked off, especially by, by the hole. And it just kind of parks like a little bit on, on the sidewalk. It's Julian. He's like off, like frantically pulling out all these balloons from, from the back of his car. And then we see Leanne opens up the drapes in Dorothy's room. She's like, it's time to wake up. Jericho's party begins in an hour and you should be downstairs to greet your guest. And Dorothy just grumbles. They're not my guest and I will not be going down there. 
Leanne says, oh, yes, you will. She's like, you wouldn't want people to think you're an uninvolved mother. And then she, like, takes uh, Dorothy's, like, wheelchair, and she, like, rolls it towards the bed, and boom, it's like, hits, like, the bed with a thud. And then Dorothy's like, you're in over your head, Leanne. No one's going to set foot in this house with a hole out there. And she's like, do I look worried? This party will go ahead with or without you, but I'd really like you to be there. It's a family event. So then downstairs, like out, out in the back, there there's this like animal dude. He's got this tarantula in his hand. He's talking about it, whatever. And there's some parents there w- with, with their babies. I'm assuming it's parents from like, like the, the parent group that Dorothy tried joining because they, they don't look familiar at all. And then the, the dude starts singing, it's a beat spider, whatever. Julian's just sitting there having a drink. And then uh, Courtney and... Uh, Julian and Dorothy's dad's there. So Courtney uh, says that this is pitiful. Where are Dorothy's friends? And their dad's like, well, Leanne sent the day before Evite to, to a six-month late birthday party, you know, right after an earthquake splits the street in half. Can't imagine why no one would show up. And Courtney's like, oh, I I bet poor Dorothy just hates this. <laughs> it's like, like poor, poor Dorothy. It's like, whatever. Inside, Dorothy's like, I hate this. And Sean's like, do you need help getting dressed? And she's like, no, I'm not giving Leanne the satisfaction of dressing up. Because she, she is dressed. She's in, they're in the kitchen. And she's like, oh, God, we are so close, Sean. We're never going to get the opportunity to blindside her like that again. W- which is just horrible if you think about it, that, that she's like, oh, we had this chance for this cult to come and kidnap this young girl that, you know, she doesn't want to go back there. And and she's, like, upset about it. She's like, the, the cult probably gave up and went home. Sean's like, oh, I don't know. They don't seem like the type to, to easily quit. And she's like, well, I truly hope so. Every moment until then, she's going to rub in my face that I'm powerless in my own home. And it's like, how? And she, she is like, a one and a half birthday party? What the fudge is this? She's punishing us, Sean, brutally. There has to be some way to end this. But it's like, <laughs> okay, whatever. I, see, I could sit here and just grumble and grumble, but it's just, it's so ridiculous. And Sean's like, well, what about Julian? She listens to him. Dorothy's like, oh, he won't do anything. Again. He won't raise a hand against her. It's like, we've lost him. Sean's like, well, maybe not. You know, there's a chance that we can get through to him. Leanne has a glass. Ding, 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 ding. She says, thanks everyone for coming to celebrate Jericho turning one and a half. She knows it's been a tricky time. And so Dorothy is out there sitting in her chair. And she's like, Dorothy, this party is my gift to you. Due to your hospitalization, we weren't able to celebrate Jericho turning one. And I know you've been busy planning other things. So I thought I'd handle this one for you. I know how much you love your parties. Which, um, so I wonder if, if those are, are, are digs at her. Because she's like, you've been busy planning other things. Does that mean like trying to get her abducted? I don't think she knows her involvement with that. And then she says, I know how much you love your parties. You know, that could be about, say, I don't know if, Leanne is aware that the party was a setup. And then uh, <laughs> she mentions that, you know, she got some woman dressed as like Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. She's carrying a little dog. It's supposed to be Toto. Cause she's like, I, you know, I know how much you love your Wizard of Oz. And, and then she's saying stuff like, you know, a child needs stability. You know, he needs to be shown that he is loved and Jericho is very, very loved. And then uh, she mentions that the animal guy probably has like more animals to show, whatever. So she's like, please enjoy this special day. And then she tells Julian, she's like, get the party hats. So inside, Sean talks to Julian. He's like, what are you doing? Look what she's done to you. Because he's like frantically looking around for the heart, the party hats. And and he's like, look what she's done to us. She's keeping our family hostage. And Julian's like, lighten up. It's a birthday party. 
And Sean's like, you know, he can't believe the way he's handling things. And Julian's like, maybe I should start reading the Bible and inventing stories about my magical or my nanny's magical powers. And he's like, that's a much more rational form of escapism. And he's like, you know, I can't imagine what this is doing to her, that her husband has gone completely bat poop delusional in her time of needs. Sean's like, are you kidding me? He's like, you're saying this to me when you're sleeping with a person actively destroying your sister? How? How is she actively destroying her? He's like, you're fudging delusional. And then Leanne's like, Jillian, because he's, he's getting the party hats out there. The the Dorothy cosplayer, whatever, you, I don't know what you want to call her. She says to Dorothy, excuse me, ma'am, have you seen a silly man made of straw? And Dorothy just like closes her eyes like cringing. I seem to have lost him somewhere along the yellow brick road. But this this lady is like not Dorothy. She's like almost as old as, as regular Dorothy. Uh, and then Dorothy just right, real our Dorothy whatever mumbles is not now. And then the the cosplayer's like, fine, your your party kind of blows. And under breath, Dorothy's like, not my party. Leanne comes out, looks at Dorothy, and then walks over to where everyone is. The animal dude is is talking about the snake. Um, so Leanne sits next to Bobby and takes Jericho. The dude offers to let people pet the snake. And then when Leanne tries it, it like hisses and like snaps at her. Then he's like, he's like, oh, well, sorry, whatever. Then his goat's like chomping on her dress. So the, the guy gets like nervous, puts the snake away, whatever. So she goes up to him like you know, quietly. She's like, control your animals or I'll have Sean put them on a grill. So she tells everyone else that she's going to go get a new dress. She'll be right back. She's, you know, in the closet picking. Now I'm a little confused. So she's picking out. I think she, I'm pretty sure she's in her room. She's picking out a dress. And, and then she hears like a noise upstairs. So I don't know if she's in her room or I don't think this it was Dorothy's dress. I mean, then she, she she hears something. So she goes upstairs to check and you hear like a baby and there's a baby crying in the bathtub. But I'm not sure whose bathroom this is because at first I thought it was I thought it was Dorothy's bathroom, but I think it was actually Leanne's bathroom. So maybe. Is Leanne on the third floor and Sean and Dorothy, their room is on the second floor? Maybe that's it. So there's a ba- some kid in a bathtub crying. And so Leanne walks in. But this is this kind of bothered me a little bit because she like opens the door like almost all the way you know, to go in. She's going in through the hallway. But then, of course, there's someone hiding behind a door, which I think... I don't, I don't see how it was possible. But anyways, so as she walks in, there's some lady behind the, the closed door. And I couldn't recognize her if she was one of the ladies from on the, the block. I don't think she was. I don't know. But Leanne's kind of caught off, off guard because she's like, you, I should have known. So maybe it was, I'm trying to think, maybe it was a... Maybe it was the, the art lady, the, the lady that's married to another lady that was talking about art and stuff. Cause she, so Leanne's like, I should have known. And then the the young couple dude that makes their own wine, he comes out from behind her and like, I don't know if he's like trying to chloroform her or something like that because he just like sucks something in her face. She like shoves him back and they go into the, the bedroom and she elbows in, in the gut and he like kind of like bends over. And then this other lady comes up and I think it might might have been his, his wife, the, the wine lady, whatever. She comes up and like grabs her after the dude is down and you know Leanne's like kind of like thrusted on on the the sewing desk. So Leanne like reaches, she grabs the scissors, stabs her in the leg, and then the the bathroom lady 
grabs her and they, they struggle the wine dude grabs her hair like shoves leanne down and then he kind of gets on top of her like he's like got her pinned down he's like oil now leanne looks up as he like holds her down she's like they send three of you just to kill one little girl when you couldn't do it yourself the first time do you believe god still loves you and then one of the ladies grabs her head you know like puts it like straight and then she's like we will be the saviors of good leanne's like you'll be martyrs when we burn your bodies. And the dude's like, that's enough. So then the lady starts like writing on Leanne's forehead with the oil. I guess, you know, marking her or something like that. And the other lady's like, I, I can't feel my leg. And the dude's like, Willow, you need to get the knife. And then she's like, no, we're just supposed to mark her. And he's like, no, we have to finish her now. She's too volatile. And he's like, where's the rag? And Leanne's just like, there, calm. She's like, not even struggling. And, you know, she's just like, kind of looks around. He like, tells him he's like shut that baby up it's like whose who's kid is that did he just take it from the party then leanne kind of uses the, the distraction of the baby she like shoves him to the side where he, he hits this dresser and this big metal like candle holder like that she looked up and saw falls it was like on the edge it falls she grabs it smacks him across the face with it and will is like ash and then leanne <laughs> i love this part she picks up the the you know she still has a candle holder she throws it across the room hits the the lady that came up behind the door like right in the head and she's knocked out and then uh willow who got stabbed in the leg she's like crawling to the bathroom she's gonna try to go out the the hallway door i guess but she like kind of reaches in a door you know, frame to like pull herself leanne you know she's just calmly walks by slams the door on her in her hand and then she like looks at the baby and she's just like shh and the, and the baby stops crying then leanne she takes her phone and she calls lou and she's like there's three of them on the third floor and a baby she's like bring the others and take care of it so outside at the party no, no one has any idea what's going on the animal guy's talking about pigs he has a little piglet in his hand dorothy's actually smiling watching jericho like in front of a little piglet and then julian comes up with some party hats he offers her one and she coldly's like i'm not wearing that and he's like great you hate me too and he like kind of walks away she rolls after him she's like i can never hate you you know that you are family which means i support you even in the midst of the most idiotic and destructive phase of your life even if it's at my expense <laughs> first she's trying to say it's about it you know him then she like turns it it's all about her he's like yeah i totally feel supported and she's like whispering she's like i am the one who needs support julian leanne is waging war my entire life and you're on the opposing side how is she waging war and he's like, I'm not on anyone's side. He's like, I just feel bad for her. And Dorothy's like, ugh. And he's like, she's she's not had it easy, Dottie, okay? Her mom was really pooped to her, forced her into pageants, made her feel like she wasn't worth loving. She sees how you are with Jericho. She's never had that. You have no idea. Dorothy's like, you know, she thinks for a moment. She's like, I covered a pageant circuit once in my first year. Some very cruel mothers. And he's like, then you get it. It's like, Leanne is like those kids. So cower pig for the party hat so because we saw in the first season leanne found that the the news report that um dorothy did when leanne was a kid at, at a pageant so leanne she's has a new dress on she's putting on lipstick and then her helpers are just like getting the bodies i don't know if they're dead or if they're just like knocked out dorothy opens a gift from bev and bobby and they're like we photoshopped some or we photocopied some of Jericho's first baby photos so you could remember all those wonderful moments. And she looks and she's like, oh, thank you. Leanne comes out. She's like, Julian, it's cake time. And then to the lady, she's like, that's very sweet, but the Evite said no gifts. We already have everything we need. 
And Bobby's like, oh, don't be silly. Jericho's aunties could never show up empty-handed. It's just like, oh my gosh, these two ladies. It's like, why are they even there? It's like, are they even working with, with Dorothy anymore? So she starts walking. And then she's like, why don't we put that goat away? Time for a new activity. But then the goat kind of like lunges towards her. And the animal guy pulls it back, tells everyone, you know, say goodbye to Leonard the goat or whatever. Julian's like holding a cake. And he's frantically looking for candles in the kitchen. And and she, then uh, she, Leanne comes in and she's like, what are you doing? And Sean's like, we have candles. And she, she's like, it's fine. She's like, take them out without. And then you're thud. The goat is at the kitchen door, like slamming its horns against the glass. And it's like starting to crack. It ends up doing it like four times because, you know, it's like, boom. It's just like hitting harder because it's got these big horns. And Julian's like, fudge. And then the fourth time it hits it and it shatters. He, for some reason, gets scared, I guess, and drops the cake. Leanne just like stares at the goat. Then the animal dude and the assistant like grab the goat, whatever. And she's just like tells Julian, she's like, pick it up and bring it outside. So luckily the cake wasn't completely ruined, I guess. Maybe it was just really thick. I don't know. So um, she goes out and Sean's like, you see what I'm getting at? And Julian's like, what, the fudging goat? Yeah, it's the fudging goat. Julian, how are you so blind? And Julian, she's like, leave me alone. And he's, he's like trying to fix the, the cake. I'm trying to save your son's birthday party. And Sean plainly says, he's like, my dead son's birthday party. And Julian's like, whatever, the kids. He's like, I get it. You're terrified of being alone with yourself. So Leanne tells you what to do and holds your hand through the incessant misery so you don't have to be a functioning human like the rest of us. He's like, but I'm begging you, please be rational. Leanne's like, Julianne. So Leanne tells everyone it's time. The cake's here. He's like, we're going to sing. And Courtney's like, what? No candles? They already start singing. <laughs> She's just so nasty. No candles? It's like, does a one, one-year-old really need candles? Or do you know how to blow it out? And then uh, as they're singing, she like slams on a, on a table because Dorothy, the cosplayer, was like sleeping. And she's like, sing. And then uh, the, the Toto dog runs out of her lap, goes up to Leanne and bites her in an ankle. And it kind of pulls the leash and makes the Dorothy like kind of fall on a table. Table whoosh, like falls over. And Julian falls back. The cake like lands like on his chest and his neck. And then <laughs> the Dorothy uh, cosplayer nastily vomits on some guy trying to help her up. It's just like she'd been drinking it's just like it's so gross it's like brown or and then he like falls back and knocks somebody like the animal carrier like the crates kind of get knocked over and open up or you see a little piglet running around and someone's like trying to grab it snakes out and bev uh so so bev's the shorter one um because i always get the two mixed up she asks leanne she's like are you okay and leanne's like i'm fine and bev's like that could get infected. She's like, I have hydrogen peroxide in my apartment. And she's like, don't be a hero. Come with me. So she's being nice to her and everything like that, which which is is, is nice. And then uh, she in the apartment, she makes her sit and elevate her leg. Le- Leanne's just like deep in thought. She's like, I just want to do something nice for my family. And, you know, Bev from the other room, she, you know, she's getting it. She's like, of course. And she's like, just lean back and relax. And Leanne actually, you know, closes her eyes and relax. And she, Bev's like, this might sting a little. Leanne's eyes snap open. Bev is injecting her with a needle of something like in her leg. And then she like looks up with kind of like this evil glare. So holy crap, Bev is in the cult. But it's like, does that mean just Bev? Because they, you know, don't they all have to like whip themselves? Because she only they only checked Bobby's back. And Bobby didn't have any scars on her back. So she's not whipping herself. But it's just like, okay. Because you you think that they're they're both evil, but then it's like no, they can't be. You know, they've been there for so long. 
So Leanne like stands up and she's like, "Oh, you, you better sit down," you know. And she's like, Leanne's trying to like like back out out of the room, but she's already woozy, and then she just falls over. So Sean chases Julian at the house. He's like, "How do you explain what's happening out here? You think that's normal?" Julian says, "He's like, oh, give the drama a rest," and he's like, "Stop shoving your BS down my throat." And he's like, "And look at yourself." He's like, you'd rather indulge in your fudging, absurd, magical thinking than simply take accountability. Your faith absolves you of your guilt. It's like, you went to California, Sean, because to do his, his TV show. You chose food and glory over your family. Deal with it. And then Sean kind of like punches or kind of like knocks the, the party hat off of Julian. He's like, you're an a-hole and a hypocrite. And Julian's like, did you just hit me? You should have been there, Julian. She called you. But we're not ready to talk about that, are we? And we'll never be ready because you can't handle real life. One inconvenience and you fall off the wagon. Look at yourself. You're an addict with no life. You're a fudging old man with a teenage girlfriend who you're obsessed with. You're destroying your fudging family. You're a fudging loser man. And then Julian, <laughs> he like slaps him. Because <laughs> I don't think it was a punch. I was pretty sure. It was, and Sean just like feels his face. He's like, are you kidding me? And then they start struggling, but it's almost more like like they're dancing. And as, as they're kind of just like, you know, struggling with each other. And then Funky Town starts playing. <laughs> but So I guess it's coming from downstairs because uh, Bev is playing it in, in her apartment. Leanne's like tied and gagged on the floor. Her eyes open. She sits up in front of the fireplace, which is going for some reason. Bev's like just at first it almost looked like she's dancing but she's whipping herself in the back and she turns to Leanne she's like this is the part where I really let myself have it I just don't understand why you deserve all this extravagance I don't understand why you get to be reunited with him he's like you have become a symbol of vice and darkness but today God gives us the lesson of humility and so Leanne's like, she's like just working on loosening the ropes around her wrist. You think you're in control, sweetie, but you're not. Every time I make that noise, I'm like moving my hand like I'm whipping my back. I don't know why I'm doing that. But it's not our place to understand. It's our place to serve. And she pulls out this like the, the, the big ceremonial. I don't know if it's the same one, the ceremonial dagger from like a drawer in the, the kitchen area. And so upstairs, Sean and Julian are still like struggling. They end up like on a the sofa. They're like cursing each other, stuff like that. And then there's it's like smoke. So Julian starts like choking since he he's like lower, I guess. And then uh, he just kind of, kind of crawls away. Sean goes to the fireplace and he's he's like Julian stands up. Sean's like, I think it's coming from the basement. Someone lit a fire. Julian's eyes go big, and Sean's like, Julian, let it happen. Julian runs out, let it happen. And Julian's like, I'm not letting her die. He's like, Julian, don't do it. Don't do this, Julian. So Julian runs down yelling Leanne's name. He barges in. Bev's like standing there with the blade out. But I, at first, I, I think it might have been hot. So I don't know if she stuck it in the fireplace. And he like knocks it out of her hand. He gets in front of Leanne. He, she's she's still on, on, the, on the floor, like, like tied and everything like that. But Bev is just standing there like frozen and her hand still extend, extended and her, her hand almost looks swollen i mean she's I'm not trying to be mean she's a little chubby but her hand looks like like overly like something is going on and she's just standing there and then she kind of like starts twitching and then julian like whips around looks at leanne and she's like kind of has her head down she's just like glaring at bev like in concentration then he looks at, at bev and then she like falls to her knees sean runs in and he's like, what happened? And Julian's like, call 911. He like takes a gag off Leanne. And Leanne, she starts like laughing. And Sean's on the phone. And and then there's like something in Bev's mouth. And I don't know what it was. It almost, it was like, it wasn't a stone. It wasn't a bar of soap. 
I, I should have tried looking up, seeing if, if anyone said, I don't know what it was, but it, something appeared there. And so Leanne did something to her. So ambulance drives away. Dorothy is like watching from the window. Bobby comes in. She's like, I had no idea. I swear. I've known her for years. I couldn't have possibly had imagined that she was from a cult. She's like, I'm ashamed I didn't see it. And Dorothy's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Of course it doesn't matter because you're not, they're not after you. And Dorothy's like, you two have been so kind to me. I needed that. And Bobby's like, you've made incredible progress. You're one of the fiercest patients I've ever had. But I, I do think that it's time I conclude my time here. It's like, yeah, I'd get that out of there too. Dorothy's like, I understand. So then outside, Sean and Julian are sitting and, and Sean's like, we had a cult member living in our house. They still couldn't get her. And he's like, did you see her Bev's face, Julian? That's not normal. And then he's like, you're right. He's like, I don't know if we can go on like this. After a slight pause, Sean's like, I shouldn't have said those things to you. And Julian's like, well, I, I shouldn't have slapped you. And Sean's like, we're brothers. And he's like, you know, I, I could have taken you if it wasn't for smoke. Sean's like, sure. We, we weren't there for Dorothy when she needed us. We hid everything from her. It doesn't have to be this way. And then Leanne's like, Juju, you coming in? And he just gets up and goes inside. So Bobby's still talking to Dorothy. And she's like, I don't mean to overstep. And this part I, I really bothers me. She's like, Leanne's infatuation with you is deep. I think she's deluded herself into believing that you two are divinely linked. What? What? Why? Where the heck does she get this from? Divinely linked? It makes zero sense that she would come to this conclusion. And she's like, in a sense, it's her new religion. <laughs> I know you feel trapped, but Dorothy, broken people fight for their faith with everything they have. Obsessions like this are fundamental and oftentimes born in early childhood. Truthfully, I think she'd rather die than let you go. It's like, where are you getting all this from? It's in the living room, Dorothy's like staring at her shelves of DVDs from her, her newscast. And, um, some freaking how she's able to stand up completely on her own. It's and this is the, the doctors, medical professional are like you're you're probably never gonna walk again. She's able to pull herself up, and and she wasn't even like use anything to like she just she's like stand on her own. She didn't pull herself up. So she's a uh, but she's you know she is struggling whatever. She pulls out like you know looking through. She takes like maybe five discs or so and plops back down hard. So they're from like March, June, like July, two thousand eleven. She opens like looks at the discs. There's like some writing under. And then on the March eleventh one, it says Midwestern Pageant Circuit. She pops it in. Dorothy's like talking to some of the little girls. And the last one, what's your name? And she's like Leanne. Very nice to meet you. Where are you born? And she's like Wisconsin. And she tells her, look in the camera and smile, you know, whatever, all the people in Wisconsin. And then there's like, you know, you, it's like frozen on little Leanne's face. And you see the reflection in Dorothy's eye, big close up of Dorothy's eye. It's like, okay, so now you know that you met Leanne when she was a kid. So, I mean, maybe that explains her infatuation or whatever, divinely link. <laughs> I don't know. But it's like, holy crap, I was not expecting that about... Um, Bev or Bobby Bev, which Bev, <laughs> you know, the one's gone. They're both gone. So we, who cares what their names are? That, that was crazy. Uh, but man, Leanne is just, she, it's, she's getting fiercer. It's like, you don't mess with her. Then the last of us season one, episode six kin. And, um, 
this was another another oh man this show this this, this so far i i think this is like you know show of the year 2023 i don't know if there's uh this this has been my, my, my favorite show it's just so so crazy so there, there's a flashback to like joel trying to get the gun from henry and everything like that then it's like three months later there's this old cabin I see like this dead deer hanging um someone caught like some some rabbit or something like that and hangs them up outside the door so it's like is this joel and El- ellie are they living in this cabin now um but it's not so there's this lady sitting there and then she kind of looks at the side and the dude like puts on like bow and arrow he like unzips and you hear joel like off camera he's like and a gun and he's like i'm just someone passing through so he's like take the gun out slowly and then the dude asks his wife's like why didn't you shoot him and she's like the gun's way over there and he didn't hurt me by the way and he's like yeah i, I got eyes <laughs> he looks down and then he's like you made him soup and she's like yeah i did it, it's cold out <laughs> this lady cracks me up so Joel says that he's looking for his brother and dude's like, haven't seen him. Joel's like, I haven't told you what he looks like. And the dude's like, does he look anything like you? And Joel's like, a bit. Then I ain't seen him. The lady's like, he's got a girl with him. And Ellie calls down, can I come down? And Joel's like, no. And she <laughs> comes running down with her gun. He's like, what'd I just say? She's like, Joel, come on. They're like a thousand. And the dude's like, who's this little psycho? And Joel's like, never mind. So then he's... he needs them he needs them to tell him where they are because he has like a map out and ellie points out that there are no street signs and you know it's, it's an enormous fudging forest because the dude's like you have a map and a dude says his wife he's like holy <laughs> with the mouth on, on ellie he and she's like chuckles joe's like we're somewhere here and he points on a map he's like i want to know where you know he, we are and your answer better be the same as your wife's and dude looks at her and he's like he asked her, he's like, did you tell him the truth? And she's like, yeah. He's like, are you telling me the truth? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so he, the dude points and Joel holsters his gun. He's like, well, you, f- you found a great place to hide, I guess. And the dude's like, hide? He's like, came here before you were born, Sonny. <laughs> and he's like, just to get the hell away from everyone. And the wife, he, she's like, I didn't want to. And the dude's like, eh. Then he says that, he didn't mean to upset him about his brother but if he came this far then he knows what's out there and he's like have you seen cody and ellie's like yeah they got close enough it's crawling with infected so the dude's name is marlin not that it matters and he lists a couple other places and he's like anywhere people used to be you can't go there no more and joe's like so you haven't heard the name tommy he's like nope and ellie's like what about the fireflies the wife's like oh we get those in the summer ellie's like not not the bugs people lady's like there are firefly people and marlin and and the wife they both laugh joe's like do you have any advice on the best way west and marlin's like yeah go east he says something but but you know they have to go past this one river but you know they never go past her and ellie's like what's past the river so the wife's name is florence and, and she's like death she's like we've never seen who's out there but we've seen the bodies they leave behind some infected some not if your brother's west of the river he's gone Joel's silent. Ellie's like, you're not going to scare us. And Florence is like, scared him. And Marlon kind of laughs a little. So they leave. Ellie grabs like the, some of the rabbits. And she's like, you're not seriously going to believe them. He's like, put the rabbits back. He's like, they've lived here a long time. And she's like, they don't know anything. They've even heard of, of fireflies. And Joel puts his hand against the post. Like he's having trouble breathing or something like that. Ellie's like, you okay? And he's like, shut up. 
And she's like, holy spit, are you dying? And he's softly, he's like, I'm okay. And she's like, are you? Because if you're dead, I'm fudged. He says again that he's fine. He's like, it's just the cold air all of a sudden. And she's like, okay. He's like, we just need to find Tommy and the fireflies. You know, all they have to do is cross the river of death. More walking. They reach the river. Joe tells her, you know, she's like, oh, is the river of death? He's like, don't start. It's close to dark. He says there's some caves by the river. And she, so, you know, they're going to, like, camp there and she's like good she's like i'm hungry she's like i should have stolen two rabbits from the couple joe's like we can catch our own rabbit and she's like are you going to teach me how and he tells she's like just keep moving so they got a fire going he's like duct taping his shoes and then because i guess they're worn out and he drinks from a flask and she's like can i have some he's like nope and she's like come on just to warm up he hands it over to her drinks a little yep still gross and then she's like says that she's been thinking she's like let's say we find the fireflies they draw my blood and they put it through some of their fancy machines and make a cure okay then what like what do we do and he's like oh it's we okay fine whatever you you can do anything you want what are you going to do what are you doing it's never been an option maybe an old farmhouse and some land a ranch and she's like cool what kind sheep i would raise sheep They're, they're quiet and they do what they're told yeah, yeah. So it's just you and a bunch of sheep, romantic. And he's like, well, what about you? And she's like, what are you going to do? And she's like, it's probably because I grew up in a QZ. And she's like, you know, behind you, there's ocean and ahead of you. There's a wall. Nothing to look at but up. And, you know, she's like, looks at the moon. She's like, I, I read everything I could in the school library. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Jim Lovenell. But you know who my favorite is? He's like, Sally Ride. Sally Fudging Ride. Best astronaut name ever. And then she pauses. She's like, it'll work, right? The vaccine? He's like, it's a little late to start wondering. She says that, you know, she tried with Sam. He's like, tried what? She's like, I knew he was infected. And his, his eyes kind of like go big. She's like, I rubbed some of my blood on his bite. And he, you know, he's just like looking at her. And she's like, I know, I know. It was stupid, but I wanted to save him. Joel's like, well, I reckon it's a lot more complicated than that. And he's like, Marlene's a lot of things. She's no fool. If she says that they can do it, they can do it. Then she asks if he wants first watch or second. He's like, I'll do both. He's like, get some sleep. Dream of sheep ranches on the moon. Morning, fire still going. Joel's sleeping. He wakes up suddenly. Ellie's like, you're still mumbling in your sleep. She's standing like holding the, the rifle. And she says that she woke up early. He was passed out. So she took second watch. He's like, you got to wake me up if that happens. He's like, you can't do things like this. She's like, but I can because I just did. He's like, I'm responsible for you, okay? Then she's like, then don't fall asleep. She's like, I was quiet. I checked my six. I looked for tracks. I found a high ground and I kept watch like you taught me. She's like, what can I say, man? I'm a natural. Uh-huh. He takes the rifle and he like nods. He's like, wake me up next time. And she's like, yes, sir. It's snowing. Joel shot at something. Ellie's, you know, whatever. And Ellie's like, river of death. Still no people. And he's like, fine. They start walking through the trees. Get to an iron bridge. More walking. Ellie's like blowing. And Joel like looks at her. And she says that she's learning how to whistle. He's like, you don't know how to whistle? And she's like, do I sound like I know how to whistle? He's like, no. And she's like, seriously though, how the fuck did you do that? He's like, talent. And she's like, whatever. You just teach me how to hunt. He's like, huh? She's like, he doesn't think that she could handle like the dressing part, you know, like whatever. And then they get to this big dam and Ellie's like, damn. (laughs) 
Well, and I don't understand because Joe's like, you're no Will Livingston. So who's Will Livingston? It's not. I don't know. Because I thought I, I looked him up and it's like he was like a governor of New Jersey or I don't know. Then she asked, she's like, what if this is the river of death? So he's like looking at the map. Then several people, like several folk on, on horses right up with rifles. There's nowhere for the to run. And he's like, get behind me. And he like, they have their hands up. He's like, we ain't looking for trouble, just passing through. Someone's like, drop the gun. And they're wearing like masks in the lower part of their face. And a dude tells Ellie, he's like, you take five steps back. And Joe's like, how about we just talk about, you know, just talk this through. And the dude's like, how about you just shut the fudge up? So then Joe like, tells her to do it he's like it'll be fine and dude's like asks if, if they've been near infected and joe's like there's no infected around here and they're like, the hell there ain't someone calls uh with like a dog barking viciously dude's like last chance for a bullet he's like he will smell it and will rip you up ellie's looking kind of nervous now so they unhook the dog he walks up to joe like sniffs his boots and everything like that and then lightly like kind of jumps up on him you know, for just for a second. And he kind of turns away. And Joel's like, like I said, we'll just move on. The dude looks at Ellie. He's like, now her. And then the dog's like, there's a low growl coming from the dog. Joel's like super nervous. He's just standing there. He's not sure what to do. What can he do? There's all these people surrounding him with, with like rifles. Growl, bark. And he's just like standing there. And then you hear some giggling. And the dog's like looking her in the face. And, you know, she's like down on her knees. And the dude's like, you just bought yourself 10 more seconds. Like, what are you doing out here? Joel's like, just looking for my brother and a woman you know rides up and she's like what's your name and he's like joel then we see them all riding back to the base there's a big you know big fence big gate dudes looking binocular one you know one of the riders wearing waving a red handkerchief then they ride into town it's, it's almost like an old western type town there's like people in the street there's like snowmen people are working and then joel's like tommy Tommy's like, you know, working on, on a, some building or something. He comes running down. They come up to each other and they like hug. And Tommy's like, what the fudge are you doing here? And Joe's like, I came to save you. And they just like laugh and they just hug. So they're, then they're in this like big kind of like dining area. They're like scarfing down food. And the lady's like, there's more if you need it. And Joe's like, thank you, ma'am. He's like, it's been a while since we had a proper meal. Ellie's like, actually, I don't think I've ever had a proper meal. It's like, this is fudging amazing. Joe's like, Ellie. He's like, sorry. He's like, Ellie, mind your manners. Tommy like smiles and Ellie sees like some lady staring behind a proposal. I don't know if it was a lady or a kid. And she's like, what? And he's like, Ellie. And she's like, well, what about her manners? The lady's like, she was just curious. Like kids around here don't usually look or talk like you. Ellie's like, right. Well, maybe I'll teach them. He's like, and I want my gun back. And the lady's like, they also aren't armed. Tommy's like, maybe we got started on the wrong foot. And Ellie's like, she was going to have her men shoot us. Tommy says that it's like, oh, they're all bark. You know, we have to be careful who we let in. You know, and she's like, yeah, you have a couple 90 year olds pooping themselves. And he's like, Ellie. She mentions like dead bodies that leave around. The lady's like, those are people who tried us. And Tommy's like, a bad reputation doesn't mean you're bad. So Joel says to the lady, he's like, ma'am, the hospitality is great, but, you know, maybe we could get a moment for just family. And Tommy like takes her hand. He's like, well, Maria is actually family. And Ellie's like, oh, spit. It doesn't say spit. She's like, congrats. And she's like, Joel, say congrats. He's like, congrats. Tommy's like, well, how about a tour? So Maria says that, you know, they settled here about seven years ago. There was a gated community and they just built up from, you know, the wall from there. They keep the, it keeps the, the few raiders out. They get power from the dam. They, you know, they've got that working. People 
like being out in the middle of nowhere like helps you know there's not a lot of people out there then then ellie asks maria is like are you in charge and she's like no one person is in charge she's like i'm on a council democratically elected you know, serving 300 people including children everyone pitches in and, and we rotate patrols food prep repairs hunting harvesting tommy says like everything you see in the town it's all shared it's like collective ownership and joe's like so communism he's like nah nah it ain't like that maria's like well it is that literally it's like this is a commune we're communists she says that they probably like a shower and new clothes so she suggests putting them in an empty house across the street from them and tommy's like he's like yeah he's like it's been untouched since 03 but it's got heat going through it and maria says that you know she'll take ellie over there if they want to catch up and ellie's a little nervous but joe's like it'll be fine so they have a drink at, at this bar you know there's no one under and tommy's like you know thanks for giving a spit about me and joel he takes a drink he's like impressed by the whiskey and tommy's like yeah you were raising hogs and you know soon we'll have bacon he's like you know what's left after that joe's like it's a pretty nice setup and tommy's like how's tess and joel's like he just lies he's like she's fine all right and then he's like good he's like and the kid she's a daughter of some firefly muckety muck trying to find her family somewhere out here i was heading this direction so he's like really goodness of your heart joe's like there's payment so you know where they might be these fireflies tommy says that they got a base down at the university of eastern colorado it's like a, a week's ride south but it's a uh, severely fudged up between here and there there's infected raiders it's not exactly an easy trip He's like, well, it'll be easy for us seeing as how you can headshot infected from half a mile away, which is a bunch of BS, by the way. And he's like, yeah. Tommy's like, I can't go. He's like, oh, come on. What, because your wife won't let you? He's like, no. She the one who kept you off the radio? Is that why you stopped messaging me back? And Tommy's like, after I ditched the fireflies, Maria and her crew found me. He's like, they're good people. They just asked I follow the rules. He's like, I'm your brother. He's like, I'm aware, but they're very protective of this place. To keep the wrong people away? Is that what I am? He's like, the things I did, Tommy. I did those things to keep us alive. Tommy's like, we did those things. And they weren't things. We murdered people. And I don't judge you for it. We survived the only way we knew how. But there were other ways. We just weren't any good at them. And Joe's like, if you knew the poop that I've been through trying to find you these last few months. And then Tommy's like, I'm going to be a father. He's like, Maria's a few months now. So I just got to be more careful. He's like, and be honest, it's like, I'm scared to death. He's like, but I, I feel like I'd be a good dad. Joel pours himself another drink. He's like, guess we'll find out. Tommy's like, guess we'll find out? That's all you got? And Joel's like, what else am I, am I supposed to say? Tommy like stands up now. He's like, just because life stopped for you, it doesn't mean it has to stop for me. And Joel's just like, we'll grab some supplies and be out of your hair in the morning. And then Joel just walks out. He takes a moment outside and there's like almost like there's more chain pain in his chest there's people are singing like christmas carols and stuff like that and then this is the part that like gets me because he sees this girl that kind of looks like sarah from behind i mean obviously it's not her and she like bends down and you know she's got this little kid but it's the fact that if all this didn't happen that would be his daughter with his granddaughter you know she would have a kid by now and, and everything like that so it's just it's just another reminder that she's gone and it's just it just torn apart and it and it just it gets me when i think about like my kid it's like oh man uh, so ellie's you know she took a shower he's drying her hair there's a note that says i'm across the street there's like clothes and stuff laid out and, and including this like a menstrual cup she looks at the directions she's like oh 
gross. She goes across the street, knocks, and she's like, walks in. She's like, hello, Maria. Just looks around. There's this little like chalkboard over the fireplace. It says Kevin 4300 to 92909. And then Sarah 72089-92903. So they both died on September 29th. There's like a couple candles in front, whatever. Maria comes in the back and she's like, oh, I just traded for, you know, for this. Just like this big jacket. Ellie's like, oh, that's very purple. And someone said it was like an eggplant or something like that. And then uh, Maria's like, who cuts your hair? She's like, oh, this is well, world-renowned, whatever. Because obviously no one cuts it. So she's like, she wants to cut it. She's like, uh-uh. She's like, just a trim, I promise. So then Ellie's like, is this what you did before? She's like, no, I was a district attorney in Omaha, Nebraska. She's like, I put bad guys in jail. She's like, oh, cool. And she's like, I always enjoyed cutting the hair, so maybe it's a mom thing. And she asks if she was looking at the memorial Tommy made, and she's like, uh, yeah. She's like, I'm, I'm sorry about your kids. And Maria's like, it's okay. And kid, she's like, just, just Kevin. Sarah was Joel's daughter. And there's a big silence. And she's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. And Ellie's like, no, it's okay. I guess that explains him a little. Maria's like, you know, she's like, I'm not gonna ask what you're doing with him. And she's like, good. But there are clearly things you don't know about Joel. And she's like, oh, about how he used to kill people? I know about that. So then you understand my concern. And Ellie's like, he doesn't do that anymore. He stopped killing people. And Ellie's like, innocent ones. She's like, and Tommy did it too. She's like, are you worried about him? And she's like, Tommy was following Joel the way you are now. And then Ellie's like, well, maybe I'm smarter than Tommy. No offense. And Maria's like, you're definitely smart. He's like, you would have made a hell of a lawyer. He's like, there's a whole lot you're not telling me. And she's like, good. Therein lies the point. Be careful who you put your faith in. The only people you who can betray us are the ones we trust. She's like, now grab your super fudging eggplant coat. She's like, it's like, we're going to the movies. So she's watching this like old movie with a bunch of kids. And she sees like Tommy, but you know, Joel's not there. So Joel's like trying to fix his boots. Tommy walks in. He says like some guys told him he might, you know, find him there. He thought he'd save him trouble. He puts on like a, a, a newer pair of boots. And Tommy's like, I shouldn't have said what I said. He's like, I, I know that you're happy for me. You know, it's it's but it's it's complicated for Joel. He's like, and you know, he's sorry. He's like, Am I off the hook or what? Joel just like, this ride to university, is it suicide mission? And Tommy's like, no. He's like, it's dangerous, but it's nothing you can't handle. He's like, you just you know, prepare and do what you do. Joel's like, you've had people go that way and come back? And Tommy's like, all of them. He's like, what is this? And then Joel's like, she's immune. Tommy's like, what? He's like, Ellie, she got infected, but she didn't get sick. He's like, Tommy, it's like, I saw her get bit myself. He's like, that was months ago. Months. She's immune. And Tommy's just like, he's like in shock. He's like, from the beginning. So he tells Tommy that it was Marlene. She hired them to, to smuggle her to some fireflies. It went bad. Tess got bit. She made him swear to take the kid. He's like, it was her dying wish. He's like, what the hell was I supposed to do? We made it as far as, as Kansas City. And then, you know, she saved my life there from another kid. Five years ago, I would have destroyed him. But she had to shoot him to save me. It's like 14 years old because I was too slow and too fudging deaf to hear him coming. And I saw... A man kill his own brother just to save her. And I just watched. He's like, and today, I thought that dog was going to tear her apart because it smelled something on her. And all I did was stand there. He's like, I couldn't move. I couldn't think of anything to say. It's like, I was so afraid. 
You think I can still handle things, but I'm not who I was. I'm weak. It's like lately there's been these moments where fear just comes up out of nowhere and like my heart feels like it stopped. He's like, and I have dreams every night. Tommy's like, what kind of dreams? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I can't remember. I just know that when I wake up, I've lost something. I'm I'm falling in my my sleep. I'm failing. It's like it's all I do. It's all I've ever done is just fail her. It's like again and again. And Tommy's like, you want me to take her? He's like, I'm just gonna get her killed. He's like, I know it. It's like I have to leave her. I mean, it's why you took off on me, right? To make up for the things that we did. It's like, well, here's your chance to bring your your kid into a better world. It's like you're young. You said it from yourself. You'll come back. You, you have to take her. He's like, you can't tell anyone, not even Maria. It's like, you're the only one I trust. If anyone else sees those bites on her, what's in her, they'll shoot her. It's the last thing I'll ever ask you, I swear. And Tommy's like, I'll take her out at dawn. So outside, Tommy tells Joel which place this is. He's like, number 38. So Tommy goes to the movie. Maria sees him, knows something's up. And then Joel enters the house. And uh, she's in, so Ellie is there. Because she left the, the movie earlier when she saw the you know, Joel wasn't there. So she's reading some girl's diary and she's like, is this what they really had to worry about? Boys and clothes and whatever. He starts talking and she's like, why are you here? And he says to talk to her. And she's like, no, why are you still here? If you're going to ditch me, ditch me. And Joel's like, what exactly did you hear? And she's like, I have to leave her. You have to take her. You know, I stood up for you today because I thought he's like, I made this decision for your own good. And she like scoffs. And he's like, you'll be way better off with Tommy. He knows the area better than I do. And she's like, do you give a poop about me or not? He's like, of course I do. Then why, what are you so afraid of? He's like, I'm not her, you know? He's like, Maria told me about Sarah. And he's like, don't. He just like shakes his head. He's like, don't say another word. Ellie's like, I, I'm sorry about your daughter, Joel. But I have lost people too. He's like, you have no idea what loss is. And she's like, everybody I've cared for has either died or left me everybody and she's like shoves him she's like fudging except for you she's like so don't tell me that i'd be safer with someone else because the truth is i would just be more scared and he's like you're right you're not my daughter and i sure as hell ain't your dad he's like no come dawn we're going our separate ways and he just like walks out and slams the door and her eyes are like tearing up so joel sits in the other room he thinks back to christmas with sarah like decorating the tree and he, he like shuts off the lights in the morning Ellie is dressed with a jacket, just sitting in a room. There's a knock at the door. And she's like, come in. It's Tommy. Without a word, she just puts on her backpack and walks past him. Outside, he's like, stables. And so they go in there. Joel's like tightening a saddle. And she's like, oh, did you come to say goodbye or something? And he's like, no, I came here to steal one of these horses and go. Tommy's like, I would have given you one. And he's like, I know. Anyways, that was 30 minutes ago. And I guess you deserve a choice. I still think you'd be better off with Tommy. And she's like, let's go. And she, she like shoves her bag at him. He's like, okay. So Tommy nods. He asks Tommy for directions, you know, go this way. It's just, you know, get go down to the interstate. It's right off of there or whatever. They hug. And then he's like, there's a place for you here, both of you. And Joe's like, counting on that. So he, look at, uh, he looks at Tommy's rifle. He's like, can I borrow that? And he's like, yeah. He's like, because Maria took mine. He's like, I already said yes. And then, then he's like, Joe, adios. And he's like, adios, big brother. So the gates are open. They leave. Gates close. Ellie's practicing shoot, shooting later. And she's like, she's going, or he tells her she's going wide or something like that. 
And she, you know, she's like, it's the guns off. She's looking at binoculars. He's going to try it. She's like, it just doesn't work right. He makes it. She's like, you dick. Then she asks him um, if the way they ran, if they ran things in town, if that's the way it used to be. And he's like, no. He's like, the country was too big. There are basically two ways of thinking. Some people wanted to own everything and some didn't want anyone to own anything at all. And she's like, well, which one were you? He's like, neither. He's like, I just did my job. And she's like, which was building? He's like, that's right. Houses, store, that kind of thing. We were called contractors. And in deep voice, she's like, the contractor. That's pretty cool. And he's like, yeah, we were cool. Everybody loved contractors. And she's like, nice. It's night. Next day, he's like explaining football to her, like four downs, turnovers, you know, it's violent, whatever. Then uh, they make it to the interstate. It's like they made it five days. And she's like, you know, five easy days. She's like, I don't know what time he was so afraid of. And he says, well, there's still time to find out. And she mimics him. Still time to find out. And creepy whisper, the contractor. <laughs> so they make it to the university, home out of the bighorn. And she's like, what's that? He's like, a mascot. It's, it's kind of a sheep. And she's like, see, one step closer to your dream. And he's like, no fireflies, though. And he's like, well, you know, they're probably in the middle to be safer there. So they're going through the campus. And she asks and she's like, people were, lived here and went to classes even though they were adults? He's like, well, sort of adults. He's like, I think it was just as much about partying and finding themselves as anything else, figuring out what they want to do with their lives. And he's like, I've been thinking, I, I don't want a sheep ranch, actually. He's like, the deal was I could do anything. Well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a singer. And she's like, shut up. And he's like, why is that so funny? She's like, you got to sing something now. He's like, no. She's like, come on, man. She's like, I'm not going to laugh. He's like, you're already laughing. And she's like, yeah, okay, true. She's like, well, you're singing to me later. He's like, I'm going to save the fudging world, man. It's the least you can do for me. He's like, fair enough. Then they see a bunch of like monkey. And he's like, they must be from the labs. So then he points to there's a firefly symbol. Like there's like some signs, like biomedical sciences building. So they're go that way. There's a guard station, like some sandbags and stuff like that. He's like, there's no guards. And then um, she's like, gun? He's like, yeah. They get off the horse. He ties up to a tree. There's another symbol on, on a wall on this building. So they walk into the building. Just paper scattered everywhere. Just like equipment knocked over. Joel looks at a file. He's like, packing list. He's like, this is something you make before moving. Then they hear something upstairs. They're like, well, maybe not everyone you know, moved. There's like some banging and clanging. So they go slowly. Enter a room. And a monkey shrinks. There's like three of them in there. They jump out the window. And he's like, well, it ain't clickers. And she's like, yeah, no fireflies either. She's like, maybe all that research turned them into fudging monkeys. And there's like this big map like on, on this board. There's like pins where they went or something like that maybe or where they're going. So then he's like, you know, maybe they're trying to get ahead of the, out of the weather, maybe looking for better facilities. Then they hear some raiders. Uh, according to the closed caption, it says they're raiders. Because like raider one's like, this way. Raider two's like, shut the fudge up. Joel sees four dudes out the window. He's like, out the back. So they go out this door. They can see the horse. So they, they kind of like duck a little bit. They, they look around. They run out to the horse. He starts putting a rifle in the saddle. And Ellie's like, Joel! This guy comes up from behind, swings a baseball bat at him, but he like ducks and it hits the tree. Joel like grabs him, slams him against a tree and headbutts him. He's like, put, gets a chokehold on him from behind. And Ellie's like holding up her gun, but she can't do anything. And then he snaps his neck. He turns to Ellie and she's like staring at him in shock. And then he looks down. He has a knife like sticking in his gut, like off to the side. 
and he just grabs it and like yanks it out which i thought you're not supposed to do that it's almost like like a nail or something like that and then uh the three other guys start running and she's you know she's like get on the horse and so they ride away and then she yells she's like get back whatever and she's like shooting it at them you know as they're, they're riding off they they riding under on some like tracks or whatever she's like i don't think they're following us and she's like joel joel and then he falls off i guess you know he obviously lost too much blood or whatever like that so she then he's on the ground and she goes and she's like open your eyes and she whispers like i can't do this without you she's like i don't know you know where i'm going or what the fudge i'm gonna do and then uh, a, a slower version of Never Let Me Down Again by Depeche Mode comes on. You know, I'm taking a ride with my best friend. I hope he never lets me down again. And she's like, Joel, please. Because if you remember, in the first episode, when they left the, the apartment, the radio played Depeche Mode's Never Let Me Down Again, which was 80s music, which meant trouble. And then this is supposed to represent them together now that they're like bonding and Joel's about to die because he's got to go film the Mandalorian. So he can't do the show anymore. So he's gone. No more Joel. It's just Ellie. Right? No, but, um, but yeah, so Joel's kind of, what I don't understand, why didn't Tommy go with them? You know, it's an easy ride. You know, it's just five days there. And then, so, you know, maybe they, they stay there for a day six day and then five days back so you know could have been can back within you know a couple of weeks and he was kind of right because he didn't hear the guy come up it's like how deaf is he because he can hear but it's i get things just to one ear and uh yeah so if tommy would have went things could have been different and uh and also, I, I think Ellie kind of jinxed him when she's like, it's like, oh, there's you know, there's no nothing, no problems, but obviously there there were. So as far as next week, so I don't know if you skip the the previews or not, but it, it looks like we're not going to find out anything. I have a feeling that next week's going to be like a, a flashback episode because we're we're seeing stuff about Ellie when she was younger, when she was living in the, the QZ. And uh, so it's, I have a feeling this is going to be like her backstory. And then maybe at the end, we'll see like Joel, you know, something like that. But I have a feeling that we're not going to see anything about Joel's condition, uh, you know, for the majority of the episode. And then we're going to find out what, you know, what kind of loss did Ellie have? One thing that annoys me is I did read a little spoiler about Ellie, but from the game, the character, which I didn't know about, because uh, there's this article where, where it's like she's like um basically like like not holding back against the haters because i guess people were complaining about the the bill and frank episode or something like that but then like it, it says something else and then i was just like oh, i shouldn't have read the article so it just seemed like a, just a i was like oh uh, this actress you know she's being cool and you know standing up for you know what is not a bad thing but people just can't handle anything that's different Anyways, uh, it was a good episode. So I, I, I'm just like rambling, aren't I? So, <laughs> so we got to wait till next week for the actually two weeks. Anyways, what's next? The Flash season nine, episode three, Rogues of War. This this was an okay episode. Uh, it's it's we'll see where it's going. So like, it starts off at Corbin Taft Industry. There's an alarm. Fiddler and Boomerang are breaking in. They're 
I think part of the problem is they just they're they're coming across as as super cheesy. You know, they're supposed to be these deadly rogues, you know, working with this mysterious benefactor as they're referring to, you know, whoever's supplying all, all, all this tech for them. And I don't know, they just, they don't seem menacing to me. So they, a guard comes, Boomerang's about to take him out when the guard gets stabbed by someone named Amar. And and I think this is someone we saw, Michelle Amar. There's this other Amar, I think it's, this is Murmur. I'm... I don't know why I'm like forgetting like who people are in the Flash. I feel like because you know there's been a weird schedule when, during COVID when we had a break and then season ended and then it started and whatever. Then it cuts to Paris. There's a cooking class final. Iris and Barry are there, and of course you know the the the, the teacher is tasting everyone's like they're making like creme brulee or something like that, and and of course Iris and Barry's it's exquisite 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 or whatever and uh so barry whispers to iris that he's like oh i wonder if we should tell her that we tried that recipe 40 times in flash time so whatever and it turns out that they they have a list of things to do before the baby comes and barry's like oh you know we're definitely gonna finish it before you get pregnant and then he gets a ccpd alert there's like about to break in so he offers a, to drop iris off at home but she's like no she wants to go with so then we see chuck or chester chuck whatever I, and uh keon they come out of his elevator at star labs and they're carrying plants and allegra she obviously was hoping to avoid chuck and keon mentions how there isn't anything natural there's not even windows she's like are we are underground and then Allegra is like, you know, they, they, someone said something to her. And then she's like, oh, I can't. She's like, I'm on my way out. And Chuck's like, really? He's like, I had such a great time the other night getting our groove on. So when they were out, all out dancing, he's like, we still haven't talked about our other encounter. And she's like, yeah, sure, later. Because uh, it's like, you know, you have science to do, you know, with the plants or something like that. And Keon was talking to her plants, and so I guess her plant's name is Kesha. So we're not really sure what's up with Keon because she seems very in tune with things. And I don't know if there's like going to be like some sort of elemental aspect to her because you know she talked about the weather and the rain and the purpose, and then she seems to be like into the plants. But I, I don't know. So hers is Kesha, and then I think Chester said his was Bob or something. <laughs> so then um, Keon asked chuck she's like why is allegra afraid of you and he's like honestly i have no idea and she's like you know are you not friends anymore and he's like no we are or i am or i hope so at taft industry kramer tells um iris and barry it's like why is iris there it seems so she's at a crime scene or whatever she shouldn't be there surveillance picked up the the three you know dorks um barry says that amar got an upgrade and there's fragments of nanocircuitry left behind. So I don't know if there's nanocircuitry in Amar's knife. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's the same nanocircuitry like what um, Boomerang was using. And it turns out that what was taken was a temporal scanner. It's a device that measures radioactive half-lives. Um, or something like that. That's what's, what's missing. And it's supposed to tell you what year you're in. Sort of like, why would they want that? Or something like that. Then Barry's like... Well, everything they've stolen are components that you need to build a cosmic treadmill. And Kramer's like, do I even want to know what that is? So Barry tells her, and he says it's it's a lot of power in the wrong hands. 
if they used a treadmill on a crime spree, it could mess up the fabric of time. But there is one piece that's missing, and he, you know, he kind of has an idea where, where it's at. So he goes to talk to Hartley about the vibration engine that the rogues want. He says that he says that he's looking for one too, but not for time travel. He wants to supercharge his new gauntlet that he's working on. And there's only one of these engine things in existence. It's military grade. It's worth a million dollars. It's kept under wrap by the Department of Defense. And it turns out that General Eiling, Clancy Brown, is in charge. And Team Flash had a run-in with him. And they don't like each other because Clancy Brown's always like mean. Hartley suggests that they steal it. And Barry's like, I'm not stealing from the DOD. And Hartley's like, well, I was thinking maybe we put you know, together our, our own team of rogues. So they go over the plans on the vault where the thing is locked up. There's four different power generators and uh, there's like different kinds or something like that. So Flash can't just run in and take it. They also have like a, a meta dampener or something like that. And they don't have time to get their own experts that are going to have to recruit rogues that they, they know. Iris mentions that there has to be someone else in charge uh, since Boomerang and Fiddler aren't tech savvy. So someone is, oh, and, and it's like Iris is just giving orders to everyone. So she's back in, in charge of running things. But it's like, why why is she there? It's like, doesn't she have like her own job or something like that? So Iris wants Keon and Allegra to see if they've stolen any other old rogue tech to go to the, the star archives and, you know, their, their archive place, whatever. And Chuck is like, oh, I was hoping Allegra would help me with, you know what he's doing and Legger's like oh I, I don't want Keon to get lost and she like leaves then uh, Barry and Hartley go to Jitters to talk to Jacko that's the, the hotness guy the, the flame guy Barry introduces himself he's like oh you probably don't remember me he's like oh yeah I do he's like you cleared my name and and helped me get my son back and Barry's like well this is sound strange but do you remember how you said you'd do anything to you know to pay it back and then Hartley cuts he's like oh geez he's like wow okay he's like we need your meta powers to help save the city and then he's like, hell yeah. Then they go to the chill Blaine next. He's at a bar drinking at that one bar or whatever. And he's like, let me get this straight. You want me to help you break into a highly guarded military building to steal something, but you won't help me bring Frost back. He's like, forget about it. And then Hartley says, oh, because Hartley is like such a jerk to everyone. He's like, I see you're looking for it at the bottom of that glass. How's that working for you? And Mark's like, you know, if it wasn't for you, I could have gotten Frost back and I wouldn't be drinking alone now, would I? He's like, I should kill you for what you did. But it's like, how? Just because he broke the thing, it's like Keon didn't want to do it. So is he going to force her to do it? You know, to to go into the machine to bring Frost back. So he says that, you know, he should kill Hartley. And then Hartley's like, what's stopping you, bourbon? He gets up, Barry kind of like grabs a hold, you know, stops him. He's like, I know how much you're hurting. He's like, but we need someone who can shut down a thermonuclear generator before, you know, the, the three rogues or can destroy the timeline. He's like, you helped us before. He's like, I'm asking again. We, you know, we need you now more than ever. So he's like, yeah. But he's like, I'm doing what Frost would have wanted, but I'm not taking orders from Hartley. Third guy should be easier uh, than Barry and Hartley are, are forced to their knees in the street. At gunpoint, so now they're going to talk to Goldface, and he remembers Barry as the chemist. He's like, I also help, also remember you that as the guy who helped put me in Iron Heights. So then Barry's like, Well, how'd you get out, or something like that? He said that he turned over state evidence against Am- Amunet because that he said that she was the mastermind behind the CCPD hostage situation. So even though she was supposed to be like the love of his life or whatever, uh, and so you know, he all he cares about is money, I guess. So he's he's about to kill them or something with his gold chain. 
And then Barry's like, I'm undercover again as a chemist. He's like, we need to stop the new rogues before they punch a hole in the timeline. So, and Goldface is, is aware. He's like, oh, you're talking about those the tech heists that's been going on or something like that? And Barry's like, if they succeed, they can go back in time and steal your turf before you, know, you even get started or something like that. So then he's like, well, what's your plan? As Barry starts talking, no one can see this glowing piece of tech stuck to the side of the wall, just off to the side. It's like red flashing. It's conveniently placed in the exact spot that they get taken down, you know, brought to their knees to talk to Goldface or whatever like that. So as they're talking, Fiddler's listening in. And she says, it sounds like Goldface has new friends. And Boomerang's like, oh, they don't know what they're up against. Then uh, their boss dude, whoever, in the, the bat armor is like, they soon find out and then they'll scream. It's like they're going to find out who they're up against and they're going to scream. He's like, what the heck does that even mean? At Star Labs, Goldface is like, there's a lot of gold in these walls. He's like, I'm supposed to believe that you can afford this place on a public servant's salary? He's like, I'm missing something. I'm going to find out too. And, you know, some of the others are just kind of like looking awkwardly. Mark's like, you have no idea. And Goldface looks at him. He's like, hang on. Didn't you knock over my Operation 2016? And Mark's like, Operation? He's like, please. The place looked like a farmer's market. Barry asks, he's like, we can sell this later. And Hotness comes to their defense. You know, he's they're about to save lives. And Goldface is like, aren't you the one who opened up an active volcano underneath the city? And Mark's like, yeah, right after you killed my favorite bartender. And, and Jacko's like, oh, I was clear to those charges. So things are, are, are a little tense between all of them. Chuck tells um, Boss Iris that he's sure the same person made all three weapons. Boomerangs, boomerangs, fiddlers, fiddler, and murmurs, knife, or whatever. He can track how they've been ma- he can't track how they've been manufactured or by who. Then Iris Lee stupid she's like, This is my last chance to break the story of a lifetime, and all I have is a bunch of stolen tech. So it's like, what the heck? You know, we're talking about the lives at stake, the fabric of time, possibly getting destroyed, all this stuff. All she cares is about is breaking a friggin' story. Is so it's like, is this the only reason she wanted to go with Barry after Paris? You know, doesn't she have her own friggin' job? She's using her relationship with Barry to gain access to firsthand accounts of like the news because she's too friggin' lazy to actually go out and seek out stories herself. So she's just like there sitting around the lab waiting for someone to come up to, to figure something out so she can write about it. She's not even doing anything. So she she wants the stories to fall in her lap. And plus, she has her actual operation of her media company to run. You know that she's supposed. To, she just bought that other place, and you know, know who's running it. Allegra's not there. Allegra's like her number two, but Allegra's at Star Labs. Barry goes over to plan. He almost lets it slip that he'd use his speed powers to get the engine out of the vault, but then he says that he'd use his CSI know-how. And he's like, "Any question?" And Goldface like, he raises hand. He's like, "What happens when we score the engine? Who gets it?" And Barry's like, no one. He's like, we'd bring it back to Star Labs and we'll return it as soon as possible. Goldface's like, that machine is worth a cool mill. He's like, I want my cut. And Mark's like, you know, I'm the only cryogenics expert in the room, so I, I could use it. Hotness is like, well, I know stealing's wrong, but, you know, I could use a cut too. Hartley says, like, higher education probably isn't your offspring's future because he's insulting everyone. And he's like, if anyone deserves it, it's me. I came up with a plan and I've been after it for months. Then Mark's like, why? So you can sell it yourself? He's like, no, I don't need money. And he's like, tech like that could push my gauntlets off the chart. <laughs> it would protect my team. Goldface is like, I'm not doing, you know, he's like, I'm doing this for myself, not Hartley's crew. And Hartley's like, 
There he is, the man who sold out his true love. Goldface gets ready to strike, and Hartley gets ready to use his gauntlet. Hot in his hand, starts smoking. Chilblain clenches his fist. It's like all so cheesy. And Barry yells. He's like, no one is getting it. He's like, change of plans. He's like, we're sticking with, you know, he's like, I'm sticking with all of you every step of the way. And Mark's like, there you go, gentlemen. He doesn't trust us. We're all just a bunch of criminals to him. But it's like, yeah, that's they're all they're, they're talking about is their cut, of course. Barry says that the mission is too important to screw up. And Hartley's like, well, then maybe you shouldn't be part of it, Officer Allen. And they all kind of like smile at him. And Barry's like, you can't be serious. He's like, this is a five-person plan. And you need me too. And they're like, it looks like it's a mutiny. So then they start walking out and Barry calls out to Jacko. He's like, sorry, Barry. He's like, if you can't trust us, we can't trust you. Barry goes and whines to Iris. He's like, the whole team's gone. It's all my fault. And she says that they don't want him watching their every move. And he's like, he asks her if she has any leads on the benefactor for the weapons. And she's like, no, it's all dead ends. We're both running out of times. He says that he wishes that they were back in Paris. And she's almost like, eh. And then he's like, well, what's up? And she says that you know all these tasks that they're accomplishing before little Nora comes is stuff that they're doing together. But there's, there's nothing for her to do on her own. So it's like, are you selfish much? She's worried that once they become parents, she won't have time. That's why she wanted to come... To the crime scene, she feels that if she doesn't break one more big story before Nora comes, she won't get the chance. Which, what? This is just so stupid. He's like, well, when you're pregnant, after he's like, when you're a mom, he's like, you'll have time to pursue your dreams. He's like, when you need time, I was like, I'll be there, I'm changing diapers, whatever, you know, because he's a flash, he can zip around. Then he says that he's worried about trusting the rogues. You know, maybe they need a reason to trust him, and he runs off. So it's like you kind of know where this is going, right? Then Chuck runs in, stop the presses. He's like, oh, I always wanted to say that. She apologizes before for like pushing him and just being like kind of like such a bad mood or whatever. He's like, oh no, it pushes what I needed. He's like, the tech resembles some prototypes for a revolutionary you know, company, Wayne Enterprises. And she's like, as in Gotham City? And Chuck's like, it looks like we need to call Gotham. Keon is enjoying some fresh air in the balcony. And she, she's with Allegra. She comments about all the stuff in the archives and everything. And Allegra's like, yeah, we would have gotten through it faster if you didn't ask questions about every single one. So Allegra's just kind of like, kind of mean, it seems like. Keon's like, do I make you uncomfortable? And Allegra's like, uh, well, I didn't vote against, you know, saving you. Or she didn't vote against, she voted against saving her. Or she didn't vote for saving her, something like that. She's like, so it's, yeah, it's a little awkward. Keon's like, well, not for me. And she's like, do I remind you of Caitlin or Frost? He's like, were you close? Allegra says that she has a complicated history with family, as in she doesn't have one. Frost was the closest thing she ever had to a big sister. But what about that other, I forgot her name now, the other girl who ended up dying. The other one was Powers. Anyways, so now she's in situation and she doesn't have anyone to talk about it with. Keon's like, oh, is this a thing between you and Chester? And she's like, are you in love with him? And she's like, what? And she's like, no. She's like, he, you know, because... Keon's like, he seems very nice and very smart. Allegra's like, oh, he's a genius and a good kisser, but I can't get involved right now. And Keon's like, do you want to kiss him again? She's like, I could talk to him for you. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, I'll, I'll figure it out. At the DOD base, the four knuckleheads are standing outside. They're all dressed in black and they got like these name badges. Then Barry comes up, got room for one more? 
and they turn around startled <laughs> like mark even like puts up his fist like you know fighter stance and jack was like uh, this isn't a good idea and barry's like i was wrong he's like we should go with the original plan and split up you know as soon as they started fighting he took the easy way out see so he has a solution he's like hartley gets the engine as long as he promises to only use it to keep his team safe and he's like like yeah and barry's like and in return he'll pay you all a quarter of a mil in compensation and he's like what Barry's like, well, you said you didn't need the money. It's a fair trade. And Goldface is like, hang on. Something is rotten in Denmark. We left the city hours ago. How were you able to catch up with us? And why do we need to disable meta dampeners so you can do, quote unquote, forensics? Mark just kind of looks at Barry because he, he's like, how are you going to get out of this one? Hartley smiles too because he knows what's up. And Jack was like, dude, come on. He's like, even I figured it out. And he's, Goldface looking at him. He's like, Barry Allen is a flash. And, and there he's like, they have the same jitters order. And Goldface is like, Officer Chemist is? He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I see it now. So they all know that Barry's a Flash. Which, like, everyone knows that he's a Flash. Like, come on. So they all walk in. They have their ID badges. And they have, like, a metal, like, case. They just walk past some armed soldiers. They don't even bat an eye. There's no easy peasy. Just so easy to walk in. They split up. And then they take time to get, because Hartley's wearing his hood. Goldface has his big chain on. Mark is wearing his big yellow and blue leather jacket with furry shoulders. Like, where was he even keeping this? And Jacko has his, his leather studded jacket on. But it's also weird. As their nurse section, there's no guards there and there's no cameras. You think there'd be like surveillance cameras everywhere, regardless. So they all fire their, their powers, whatever. Systems offline. Barry's his he can use his powers now. It vibrates through the vault, takes the engine out, puts in the case, but then the power comes back on. Barry's like, oh hey, the generator's back on. Jacko's like, mine's off, and Goldface his too, and I think uh, Hartley's his also. But then Mark's standing by Barry with his fists up. Sorry, Barry. And Barry's like, you want the engine for yourself? He's like, no, for the benefactor. So Hartley's like, you know, they're all listening, and Hartley's like, why am I not surprised? So he's about to go to Barry, but then Murmur's standing behind him. Boomerang is by Goldface, and Ed Fiddler is around the corner by Jacko. And Mark says, he's like, game over, Barry Allen. So Barry asks, he's like, why are you doing this? He's like, you'll never help me bring Frost back. So I had to team up with someone who will. And Barry tries talking to him, but then um, he's like, I get how it feels that you lost Frost again. He's like, stop. You don't know what it's like to lose the only person who's ever loved you. And then Barry just kind of looks off to the side. There's an exit sign. And Mark's like, you think you can make it? Run, Barry. Run. <laughs> just so stupid. You know, someone's always got to say it. Barry swings the big metal case, hits Mark in, in, in a face. The case face. <laughs> and then he runs. But he gets Mark blasts him with, with an ice blast or whatever. Barry goes flying, slams into like a wall or cabinet. He's like knocked out. He, Mark goes up to him. He's like, it didn't have to be this way. He's like, yeah, it did. Because you're just a... a evil idiot boomerang gets ready to swing some boomerangs goldface gets his chain ready he swings a chain but it's almost like like he's just went swinging it wildly he knocks three of the boomerangs away but it's like wait one went past him boomerang claps he's like oh finally someone worth killing which i do not like this boomerang he's like it'll take goldface like it'll take more than a few toys to take me out mark calls on a com that he has a package Boomerang's like, oh, you're lucky that I'm in a rush. Then the fourth boomerang comes, hits him on the side of the head, like, like, and then there's you see like the gold underneath. I don't remember like Goldface's origins, whatever, whatever. It heals right away, and he's like, oh, we could have had some fun. And boomerang takes off. Hartley is trying to fight Murmur, 
and he's you know blocking the knife with his gauntlets and um it's it's weird because like he hits one knife strike hits his uh gauntlet he goes like spinning horizontally it's like how does that i don't even understand the physics there uh he blasts murmur but she just i'm pretty sure it's a sheet she just absorbs it and then um she starts signing, like using sign language, and she's like, "Oh, it's you know too bad. You'd make a great part of the team." Uh, luckily, Hartley can sign too and understands it. It's like I don't know if this was something that was established before, but he says that he's not a killer anymore. And then murmurs like, "Then that makes you a corpse." She crouches down and does this like slow kick up, sends him flying back, but he gets up like right away. So it's like, wait, that kick—he's not a corpse. Kicking him doesn't turn him into a corpse. And it didn't. Jacko and Fiddler are ducked behind this big piece of equipment and they're taking turns like standing up blasting each other. And then she's like yelling. She's like, you should try some better. I don't know if the t-shirt he's wearing. She's like, you should try some better music like Joy Division. He's like, Joy Division inspired my favorite band, Nine Inch Nails. And she's like, wait, they're my favorite band. Then they both stand up. Like, what? Really? And then she's like, oh, I like your jacket. He's like, I like your hair. And she's like, I like your chain wallet. It's like, what is going on? And then she gets a call to rendezvous in a minute, and her face changes. He's like, no, babe. And she blasts him. He goes flying back. He's kind of out, and she walks up to him, pulls on her sunglasses. See you in the mosh pits, hot stuff. (laughs) Who is writing this? Oh, man. Barry wakes up, and he says that they're making off with the engine. He puts on his flash ring, um, or someone said that they're making off. Barry wakes up. They're like, they're making off with the engine. He puts on his flash ring. He's like, no, they're not. It's like, what are you going to do? The power dampeners are in. The three are, are outside waiting for Mark, and he runs up. He's like, we have to jet now. But then Flash runs up with history. He's like, no one is going anywhere. And Jacko is like, are we going to take on all, all of them? And Barry's like, yeah, together. He's, and they all, they all stupidly flex their stances. And then his red flash comes knocks flash and his team back and then you know barry's kind of crackling a little bit with energy like something's up and then uh so this this person i, I think it's red death is that what they're, they're calling this this bad guy um comes barry's like thawne and then the red death runs up to barry's face where's your speed now and then runs off so at Star Labs, they fill in the others. They're new partners, a speedster. And Barry's like, it gets worse. He's using negative speed, which is how he was able to dampen my speed for a few minutes. And Iris like, why would a speedster need a time machine? Goldface re- recites this line from Edgar Allan Poe about Red Death. And Barry says that this isn't just about stealing tech anymore. There's a speedster who he doesn't know. And this is more than what Team Flash can handle, especially since, you know, the their enemy has their own rogues he's like we need your help goldface kind of scoffs hartley's like this is not what we signed up for and jacko's like but i have a son you know in this town to keep safe so if you need me and goldface is like fine he's like i always love the good underdog story and hartley says yeah and if central city is leveled you're out of business he's like i said i'd help hartley tells barry to find out who this guy is what his weakness is then call him they leave Iris is like, well, I guess trusting them wasn't such a bad idea after all. He worries about, you know, who could be, you know, this new person. Who is this? Or could this be the new negative speed force avatar? Because they just, you know, dealt with them. And then he mentions that there was a symbol on the armor. And it was like a bat. And she's like, Barry, we have to talk to Chester. 
So Chester talked to Luke Fox. All the, the stuff resemble advanced designs of Wayne Tech, but the nanotech stuff is beyond bleeding edge. <laughs> so I think it's like it's it's beyond the stuff that they have that they're working on. It's similar, but it's more advanced. So Team Bats never fought anyone dressed like that either. And then they they have some drama of their own. A few weeks ago, Ryan Wilder went out on patrol, it's a Batwoman, and she never came back. And Cecile's like, we have a new speedster in a bat suit and Batwoman is missing? Could this be a coincidence? And Iris is like, what are we doing? So it's like, okay, Batwoman's missing. What do you mean, could this be a coincidence? Are you trying to say that this new speedster is Batwoman just because she's missing? Uh, Batwoman doesn't have speed powers. So Iris is like, well, what do we do now? And Barry's like, we find his new speedster and we stop him. At the evil warehouse, they make fun of Mark because he, he's wearing his leather jacket without a shirt underneath. And they're kind of like, I don't know if they, something about his abs, Captain Abs, or I don't remember what it was. And then he's like, well, I kept up my end of the bargain. He's like, it's time for me to get what I want. And they're just like, what, you know, no one says anything. He's like, fine, I'll just take this little puppy over to, to the flash then. And then Red Death zips up. That would be a mistake. Then he, he's like, well, give me what you said you would. And it's it's weird because Red Death is like shorter than Chill Blaine, doesn't really look intimidating. And and he's like, bring Frost back. And Red Death's whisper is like, after my mission is complete. And Mark's like, that wasn't a deal. It is now. And and as they're talking, like Mark is getting like kind of back backed up against the wall. And he's like, how am I even supposed to trust you when I don't even know who's under that mask? I will tell you who I am. And then Red Death takes off the helmet. So I'm assuming it's like Ryan Wilder, but maybe older, because there's like a streak of gray hair or something like that. And and she's like, I am vengeance. But it's like weird, because is Mark sitting down now? Because she's like looking down at him. So I don't know if, whatever. So Ryan Wilder, for some reason, somehow is Red Death. And the thing is, the shocking, or it's it's not shocking, because this was spoiled already, like in the news reports. I remember talking about this. So it's like, you kind of knew. It's like, oh, the bat symbol, it's going to be Batwoman. So that was The Flash this week. All right, Star Wars, The Bad Batch, Season 2, Episode 10, Retrieval. Which isn't re- wasn't really retrieval, because they're, they're stuck on this planet, this mining planet. Their, their ship was stolen. So Rucker, Hunter, and Tech are trying to fix this like speeder um, thing. Rucker complains that he's bored, he's hot, he's starving. Omega's just sitting, like, fiddling with a scanner or something like that. Hunter's like, well, I told you not to, you know, eat all your rations or something like that, you know, to preserve them. He's like, well, I got hungry. So he's like, this this skiff is like, it's just a piece of junk. And Tech's like, yes, but with a few repairs, it'll be a functioning heap of junk. He's like, there's just enough energy in the power cells to get us to the town on the other half of this hemisphere. And then um, hearing power, Omega's like, we forgot about Gonky. He's still on the Marauder. And Tech says that he's afraid that since they, the thief disabled the ship's transponder, they won't be able to locate him. And she's like, but we can track Gonky. And I wasn't sure if Tech was getting sarcastic or serious. He's like, oh, ingenious idea. Try doing a trace on his binary reference code. Wrecker chuckles. He's like, oh, don't get your hopes up. So the thief is still flying the ship. It's like, oh, I, I don't know if it's on the same planet. And Gonky's just like walking around. Thief tells him to shut it already. He's like, I'm getting annoyed. So the thief is some kid named Benny. And he calls someone named Mako. Um, so Benny's late from his scouting run. But he says he has something for Mako. Something that he'll like. So he's like, you know, lower the shields. Mako's is like this older alien. So when the ship lands, he comes with some other, some droids and some other guys. They greet Benny. And he says that he swiped the ship from some amateurs poking around the old mines. 
Mako climbs aboard and he's like, oh, miners don't travel in ships like this. It looks, you know, specially modified. You know, this could draw the wrong kind of attention. And he starts getting snippy. He's like, are you trying to cause problems for me after I've been so good to you? And Benny's like, he's like, no, no. He's like, I thought you could make some money off of it. That's all. And he's like, fine, but I'll have to sell this piece by piece just to be safe. And Benny's like, you know, is it was will this put me in contention for top earner this round? And Bob Mako's like, we'll see. He's like, you did good. You know, and it's, as a sign of my gratitude, you can keep the droid. So Benny's like, well, what about water rations? And, you know, because he was scouting out there for four rotations. And he's like, right, you are. He takes out a flask, opens it, takes a big drink of himself, then hands it to Benny. Mako's like, I always take care of my crew. And he tells his men to strip the ship of anything useful. So Mega tells the others that she thinks she's found Gonki. She got a reading. His signal is 100 kilometers east. If Gonki's still on the planet, the Marauder must be too. Hunter's like, well, let's find out. And they happen to have the skiff up and running at this point. So they fly. By nightfall, they're outside the subterranean hideout and tech detects some life forms in there. So they're going to have to do like a split search. Benny tells Gonki that he's going to have to sell him for parts because he's useless to him. He's like, what am I going to do with the defective power droid? Then Hunter's like, that's our defective power droid. So he's with Tech, and he's like, now, where's our ship? And he's like, oh, well, uh, you, the thing is, and then he he tries running. He hops on his speeder, but then he gets clotheslined by record, just like slams him down. He tries to get up and run, and Omega's like, has her energy bow and arrow like right in his face. <laughs> she was a little violent. <laughs> Take out an eye or something. Wrecker asks Gonky, he's like, are you okay? Benny's like, why do you care? He's like, just a beat up old battery. Omega's like, not to us. Hunter asks again, he's like, where's our ship? He tries stalling, and he's like, Mako has it. He's like, I gave, he gave me the droid as a gift. And they're like, who is Mako? He, he's like, he runs the whole this whole town. He's like, he's our boss. He's like, your ship is his now. And Rucker's like, yeah, we'll see about that. So Benny reluctantly shows them where the ship is. You know, he doesn't want to get involved or anything, but, you know, they're forcing him. Tex sees that the ship is shielded inside. You know, the the bay or whatever in this building where uh rucker says that they've stormed tougher strongholds and that benny's like yeah but you can't use blasters inside an ipsen uh ipsian mine he's like you'll destroy everything and everyone in there tech figures that there is one access point there's this big like blow stack it, ha- it has lower access hatch inside or something like that so if they time it correctly they can you know repel down between exhaust cycles so that gives them 60 a 60 second window <laughs> Omega says, like, oh, plenty of time. Benny tries leaving. He's like, okay, now that I showed you the way. And Hunter's like, uh-uh. He's like, you can go when we get our ship back. So Hunter goes down first, but then he has to stop before the bottom because his droid walks in to check on something. Uh, Benny accidentally knocks, like, a flashlight or something out of Omega's hand, and it falls. And if it hits the bottom, obviously the droid's going to hear it. But Hunter manages to catch it as it falls. So it's, like, perfectly within his reach. Tech tells him that he has to move. Uh, then he jumps he attacks the droid omega's like five seconds he reaches the access door just as uh, the blast shoots up and then the all the others they all go down at the same time it's like why did they do that in the first place so they reach the area where they see a, a bunch of miners like pushing like hearts or rock or whatever there's a big long bridge and stuff like that tech comments that the conditions at a mine are less than ideal and benny says it's because the uh, ipsium has become degraded uh, Mako had to lower wages just to keep the mine up and running, but at least they're still working. And then he says that their ship is in the upper garage bay across from the central tower. And he's like, but I know a shortcut. And Hunter grabs him. He's like, no tricks. So they reach the ship. Benny wants to leave, but they make him wait. 
Tech sees uh, the hyperdrive's been removed, and Benny's like, oh, that shouldn't be a hard fix. Omega asks, he's like, well, what about the ray shield? And Benny's like, you can only shut it down from the central tower. So Hunter wants to go, but Benny's like, he's like, oh, you'll stick out too much. He's like, you know, if you don't trust me alone, and he like points Omega, he's like, you know, she should be able to blend in. Tech gives her this device. He says to transfer the data onto there, and then he'll be able to access it remotely. So, and then Benny says, you know, she's going to change her appearance or whatever. So, whatever. It doesn't change it that much. We see Mako. He's like chowing down on this feast. He's like spilling food. Like he doesn't care. He's just like, draw, draw, all this stuff like that. Uh, I think a droid comes in and says, others are waiting. He's like, oh, they can wait. So, Benny's taking Omega down instead of up because he says, you can't just go straight in. And he's like, only Mako's inner circle has access cards. And she's like, oh, you're not part of his inner circle? He's like, not yet. It's like, but when he, if, if he finds me helping, he's like, I'll get sent back to the mine. So just act natural. They go into this, like this common area. There's like, you know, tables and stuff like that. I don't know if the people are playing cards or something. Then one asks like where he's been. And he, you know, must think that the ship will make him top earner this round. Mako finally comes in. The guy he was talking to, Drake, he's like, about time. He's like, I'm starving. Benny gets up and he like kind of bumps him. He like shoves him back because he stole his access card. Omega's like, can we go now? He's like, not yet. He's like, I want to hear the tally. Mako goes up about it being a lean season. They've all had to make sacrifices, including him. It's like, yeah, right. It's like some have been working harder than others. He, he always takes care of the top earners. This round's top is Drake. And Benny's like, you got to be kidding me. So this droid brings Drake this like bowl of like soup or something like that. He like scars it down. He's like, and for the rest, rations are low. That means you have to work harder and longer. If you're going to be, you know, if we're all going to survive. He's like, but I won't let my crew starve. And then Droid sets, Droid sets down one more bowl of soup for everyone else. And they all run up to it, like start spooning some out. So uh, the others are still working on connecting the hyperdrive. Omega asks Benny if he's all right. He's like, no. He's like, I stole a ship and it's, I still wasn't top earner. And she's like, well, you shouldn't have to compete for food. Benny's like, that's just how it works here. He's like, but I'll impress Mako. And then they open the door to the tower. They sneak around, they get to the control room. Then Benny hits a button like behind Omega's back. It's like, is that an alarm or something like that? He tells Omega that the others really treat her like she's one of them, and he wishes Mako did that. And she's like, it doesn't seem like he cares about any of you. Uh, you know, he's like, you should just leave. Benny's like, well, Mako's kept us in business. He's like, with more time and more digging, we're bound to reach you know better Ipsium soon. And besides, you know, this is his home. This is all he's, he knows. She's like, oh, I get it. He's like, our ship is our home. It's the only one we really have. And then he's like, oh. he's like, well, I'm so sorry, I stole it. And then she hands him her rations. And he's like, why, why would you give this to me? And she's like, for helping, you know. And then he takes it quietly. He's like, thanks. She goes back to the device, downloading whatever. And he like eyes the door. So obviously he's, you know, betraying her. Tech comments that Mako is using his power over his workers. It's a tactic similar to what the Empire is doing, although this is a smaller scale. Hunter sees a couple kids come up, and then one asks, he's like, wait, didn't you say that uh, so-and-so removed the hyperdrive? Rucker pops out. They're like, who are you? He's like, uh, Mako sent us. Hunter jumps down and tries to call them. They jump down the ladder. He tells Tech to get the engines online, and they start. he starts running after the two. Benny asks or Omega, it's like, any luck with the data codes? And she's like, not yet. She's like, most of it is Mako's profit reports. And she's like, I thought you said the Ipsium here is degraded. 
And Benny's like, it is. And she's like, not according to this. He like looks at the device and then he yanks it free just as Mako enters and he like, sticks it behind his back. And he's like, hmm, my thief caught another thief. He's like, nicely done, Benny. I'm impressed. And then he's like, where are the others? Benny's like, they're in the garage bay. And he's like, sorry, says Omega. He's like, I had to. That's my boy. The title of top earner is definitely in your future. And then the two armed droids usher Omega out, leaving Benny behind. And he just like looks at the device again. Hunter runs after two. Tech calls him saying that the hyperdrive is near land line. Hunter says that he lost her spies and they must have called for backup. On this big bridge, Mako calls out to their uninvited guest. Wrecker and Tech pop out. He's like, you think you can come here and steal from me? And Tech's like, well, technically, this ship belongs to us. Not anymore, and I'd rethink the blasters. One stray shot, and we're all done for. Rucker grumbles, we don't miss. Mako chuckles. He says that he believes them, but he thinks they'll reconsider. Omega's being dragged by, on his higher platform by, like, a droid. He tells them to lower their weapons or she goes over. And they have no choice. They, they comply. Benny's, meanwhile, he's just thinking things over. Mako's like, trespassing and attempted theft. Ten years in a mine seemed like reasonable punishment if you survived that long. He orders them to be taken away, and then Benny runs out. He's like, stop. And Mako's like, not now, kid. I'm busy. He's like, you lied to us, Mako. The Ipsium's not degrading. You've been cutting us out and keeping the profits for yourself. Mako yells to the others, like, oh, that's a lie. Don't listen to him. And he's like, you never cared about us at all. He's like, and I have the proof right here. Drake's like, let me see that. And he's like, what's going on, Mako? We, we, you know, toil down in the mines while you enjoy the spoils. And he looks around. He's like, I was taking my share. None of you would have survived without me. Don't forget that. He tells the droids. He's like, throw her over. Throw Omega over. Hunter shoots a grappling hook. Omega, like, totally trusts him. She grabs the droid's arm, forces, like, leans back, like, forces him over the edge. So they both fall. Hunter swings by. Perfectly time catches her. Mako says that no one takes what belongs to him. He tells the droids to, to take care of them. They have like these stun batons. Wrecker and Tech pew, pew, shoot them precisely. Then the workers start moving towards Mako. He has like a pipe or something. He's like, well, I'll take care of you myself. He swings, but he misses and he like falls over the edge and he's like hanging on. He's, you know, he catches a hold. Benny's like, take my hand. And Mako like grabs it with his claw hands. He's like, you should have never crossed me. It's like, that seems like a stupid thing to do. But then, because he ends up falling over to his death Benny brings them the rest of their stuff Hunter's like is that all of it he's like yeah don't you trust me he's like okay okay Omega is like asks like well, what are you going to do now he says he guesses that they'll keep mining it's because it's all they know and with Mako gone they'll get an equal share then Omega tells Tech that the you know he leaves or whatever so Omega tells Tech the Empire is not the only threat you know they've seen many like Mako and, and Tech says unfortunately yes you know, but there are many like us out there as well, and that is something. And then they take off. So eh, it was okay. I'm not I, I I liked that last episode better. This one this one was all right. So, but it just seems like I, not. I I don't know if I'd call it filler. I don't know. It maybe because it, it's like there's so many episodes. You know, we're we're ten episodes in, and not a whole lot has happened. So I don't know. But that was uh, The Bad Batch. With Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 2, Disengage. 
So it cuts back two weeks ago. We see Jack piloting a ship. He's like looking for someone, whatever. Then a couple of ships appear. They're like Fenris Rangers. And he says that, or they, they say that he's in quarantine zone. So to give his Federation access code or surrender for inspection, he talks about, it's like, oh, well, you know, the paperwork, or what amount of time. And so they're like, oh, so inspection it is. So they they come on because he says there's thousands below on a planet with Galarian fever. Um so you know, Jack shows that this is a medical vex vessel. There's like you know medical supplies for those in need, and then uh, they're like, well, what about this Romulan ale or something like that? He's like, oh, that's that's uh, medicinal or something like that. It's for sterilizing things and for other whatever. And then there's also some weapons or whatever. So he kind of uses that to bribe them or something like that. And then the dudes like tell the Mark woman we found them or something like that. I wasn't really sure what that meant. But I guess we find out later. In the present day, the big ship in front of them, you know, is, is in front of their ship. Picard asks you know, who it is out there, and Jack's like, I don't know. He's like, first it was Fenris Rangers and Klingons. He's like, then three guys in Starfleet uniforms, you know, tried to get me into like an early grave. He's like, whoever's out there has resources. You know, they've been too close to the nebula for too long, so it's fried their system, so they, they can't like figure out who it is. Riker repeats Beverly's trust no one line, and, and Picard says that uh they have to find out who it is so jack asks computer for a threat assessment it's currently targeting all systems jack says that that beverly called them he didn't he's like but you can make yourself useful so his mom needs a medical pod but the power is almost depleted so he's like you know please tell me that that little shuttle you arrived in has a much bigger friend nearby Riker says that they came on a titan but it's it's gone but could still be within range Meanwhile, on a Titan, they're picking up a faint signal by the nebula. Captain Shaw asks um, if it's reached Federation space yet, and they're like, no. Seven asks LaForge how long would it take to reach them, and Shaw's like, belay that. And she's like, sir, Admiral Picard and Captain Riker are in danger. He like, cuts her off. He's like, Commander Hansen. He's like, we are an exploratory vessel. If that ship decides to engage us, we are outgunned. He's like, I'm not going to risk 500 souls for two relics. He's like, they dug their graves and took you with them. And he tells LaForge, hold their position. Then he tells Seven, he's like, dismissed. And she kind of stands there. She's like, I said dismissed. And she finally leaves. Jack is saying that they have to get the, the med pod on the shuttle right away. So he goes to docking bay. And Riker's like, Beverly's son? He's like, there's something familiar about him. But then the, the ship sends out three blasts, like knocks them, you know, what a bit. So now they're losing power. Beverly's life signs are, are, are fading. So Jack's like, Admiral, he's like, change of plans. He's like, we just lost the shuttle. We're trapped here. So news uh, about the terror on the Starfleet Recruitment Center getting destroyed. Uh, Rafi's like, listen to it. Not much is known, but you know, sources think that this leader of this Romulan rebel faction is responsible. And Robbie's, Rafi's just like upset. She tries calling her contact. And she's like, you know, whoever you are, you sent me undercover to find out who stole the weapon from Daystrom and, and to stop them. There's 117 confirmed dead. Could have been avoided if I was faster. The computer encrypted voice tells her not to seek blame or anger. And she's like, I need to find out who did this. The computer encrypted voice tells her not to seek blame or anger. And she's like, I need to find out who do th- who did this. The voice says that Starfleet Command is terminating the investigation until further notice. There's a suspect that's been identified. And she's like, the Romulan terrorists? And she starts getting like angry. And she's like, I can't believe that you know he would steal you know world-ending portal tech and use it to destroy a mid-level recruitment center. You know, even if he did do it, he's not the one who stole the weapon. So he, you know, he must have bought it on the black market. Then you know, this, there's a statement from a low-level broker. 
that's you know collaborates with her like that she's like it's just too convenient and the voice is like you know they've terminated investigation disengage and she's like disengage she's like no she's like hell no it's like they're lying covering who for who really did this 117 people are gone and the voice is like 118 should you continue and she yells she's like what do you know that i don't know do not engage and she's like you're my handler whoever you are she's like i request an in-person meet denied she says someone needs to speak for the dead since they're not going to even talk to her she's like i guess i'm on my own she cuts the call seven goes up to shaw again and he's like am i gonna have to confine you to your quarters and (laughs) I, i just love this shaw guy She's like, there's been weapons activity detected against Picard's shuttle. And he says, it'll be noted in my notes. And she's like, they could die. He asks if she helped the, them commandeer the shuttle. She's like, I'm sure that they're more than capable of finding their own way to the shuttle bay. And he's like, BS. And she says that he could be the hero who saved heroes, or he could be the captain remembered who let two heroes die. It's your call, sir. Jack says they have no visuals, they lost their escape, no help is coming, any suggestions? Riker says surrender isn't an option, and they haven't offered any terms. Jack asks if the legendary admiral has any idea, because he's wandering around doing something. He's like, I'm not strategizing, I'm safeguarding. And they're like, against what? He's like, Picard's like putting some stuff up, like little devices. And then Jack starts getting teleported out, but then Picard turns the dial on one of them and blocks it. He's like, against that, transport inhibitors. He's like, now we know they want you alive. Then a, a, a couple um, eight people like teleport in and because Riker goes out there like in the, in the hall somewhere and he he rolls like a th- plasma charge at them, blows them up. So he's like, they're at a stalemate now because, you know, obviously they, they, they're not that concerned about losing their own. And then they, there's like another blow against the ship. So warning, structural integrity at 22%. Now they're in this like tractor beam. And there's a power relay failure. Life support's at 14%. Seems like everything's lost. No more options. They're, they're done. Then there's like this beeping. The Titan arrives, like somehow, like intercepts the tractor beam. And like and it's like slow motion or whatever. Shaw's told the tractor beam is broken. He says, you know, beam those two back on board. And then he's told that they're detecting four life terms. He's like, well, beam them all on board. He's like, we're basically a hotel now. The alien ship is turning to fire on a Titan, but they can't seem to get a lock on the four. And Jack's like, the transport inhibitors. So Picard shoots them. And Picard tells Titan, he's like, try it now. The, the three dudes beam up. It's like, what about Beverly? Because then it cuts to Raffi. She meets with Jay. Um, I guess that's her, her ex. Because she's like, how's our son? And Jay's like, Gabe said that you ambushed him at his baby's doctor. And she's like, I only wanted to see her in person. And then he's like, are you staying clean? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I'm with Starfleet now. She's like, I have to be. And then she says that she needs something for work, an introduction. She knows that he turns a blind eye to like shady things at his bar or whatever like that. And she says, you know, something is happening and it's wrong. And he's, he says that when her brain goes into conspiracy and stuff like that, everything like turns dark. And that was that's like why he left, you know, just the way things got. But she's like, this, this dude's need that she wants to meet. He knows something. And Starfleet's just turning a blind eye to all this stuff. And he's like, dang. He's like, I thought this was about Gabe. I thought you'd want me to put in a word for you. And she's like, would you do that? He's like, yeah, I could talk to Gabe or Sneed, but not both. He's like, so right here, right now, make a choice. And she just kind of looks down. He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. So the alien ship flies around the Titan. Status report. 
So they got all four. The injured one was beamed directly to sick bay and it's now in stable condition. Seven tells Shaw that she suggested they get away maximum warp. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, we've engaged. She's like, I don't know with who and why. The guys are brought to the bridge and Shaw's like, you boys are in so much trouble. And Jack's like, she said, trust no one. And you brought everyone. And Shaw's like, who the heck is this? Riker is like, he's like, we can all just take a breath. And Officer Lally's like, Captain. And Shaw, Picard, and Riker are all like, what? It's like, so they're being hailed. Shaw puts it on the screen. This lady's like, good afternoon. I'm Captain Vatic, and you are. And she's like, Captain Liam Shaw. So she must be like looking at his file or something like that. And Picard asks her to state her business. She says that they, they're harboring, harboring Jack Crusher, and he's broken a number of laws, both inside and outside Federation space. You know, there's a sizable bounty on his head. And Shaw's like, well, I hate to inform you, Starfleet does not negotiate with bounty hunters. She kind of laughs. She like, laughs a lot. And she says that she seems to be having, or he seems to be having difficulty understanding the situation. You know, does she need to remind him that he's outside Federation space? And she says that she'll lower her shield so he can understand the situation. So they scan. There's a lot of weapons. Like one guy's like listing everything, all this stuff. And there's even like some tech that they don't recognize. So she's like, you have one hour to turn over Jack Crusher and then you can run. And I'll, she's like i'll leave you with the demonstration and then like the tractor beam she they tractor beam the other ship and throws it at the titan he's like shields up it kind of scrapes along the, the top there's an impact and it like smashes the pieces but it's like so weird it's like why why bother giving an hour i would just say like, okay you have a minute to turn them over you know boom beam them over Seven reports that the impact broke through their shields shrapnel tore the hole in this one section or whatever and shaw's like how's that even possible Ensign LaForge explains the reverse tractor beam, gravitational field, blah, blah, blah. And Shaw says they're basically cornered in space where there are no corners. He's like, you know, as soon as they try to leave, they'll be fired upon. Nebula's messing with their long-range communications, so he can't, you know, call anyone. And he's like, what do we know about Vatic? Seven says that there's nothing in Starfleet database, but there have been rumors. You know, some like pirate, he, he's like, let me guess, pirate, anti-establishment type, whatever. Then he's like, well, what do we know about Jack? And she hands him a data pad. Picard and Riker are talking to Jack separately. He says he doesn't know any Vatic. He doesn't know what they want. They're like, well, you know, think, you know, it's, it's not just about you now. It's also, you know, your mother's at, at risk. Then Shaw and the others come in. They're taking Jack to the brig. Shaw, like, lists all of like, Jack's aliases. And they, he says that they were conned into saving the life of a con man. So the bounty hunt hunters claims are valid so they are harboring an intergalactic fugitive so they're like he's like take him to the brig then seven starts to say that as a ranger you know she had had experience with bounty hunters and he cuts her off he's like he's like you're no better he's like you helped them and put the lives of 500 at risk for two he's like you're relieved of your duties for insubordination picard tries saying seven was put in an impossible situation and shaw says jack is getting what he deserves and so is she He's, so he says he's tempted to give Jack over to bounty hunters just so they can be underway. He's like, the rest would be up to the tribunal. Riker chimes in. He's like, Jack deserves a trial, not a death sentence. He's like, that's no ship. It's a guillotine. Shaw goes on about Federation policy, being outside jurisdiction. Picard asks to speak with Jack. And, you know, because there has to be something more than this. And it seems Shaw's like, well, you know, they gave us an hour. You know, we'll be preparing for departure. So, you know, go ahead. Riker asks Picard, why is he dancing around the obvious? He's like, do the math. And Picard's like, we shouldn't speculate. Picard meets with Jack. He's asked how, you know, how is his mother? 
Picard says that she's mending but unable to defend him, so he has to defend himself. He starts listing what he's accused of. Jack goes on about how he's helping those, like like when he was in the hostile territories, you know, he was helping them, not aiding them. You know, he's bringing medicine, and then he says his because he, he and Picard's like, well, you know, what would your mother think about this? He's he's like, when she wasn't kicking my butt from behind, she's kicking butt next to me or something like that. He's like, who do you think taught me all this? Picard's like, well, that's how I know you're lying. And Jack's like, you know her so well. It's like, when was the last time you even spoke with to my mother? And Picard's like, who's your father? He's like, I never had one. And there's like this awkward pause. And Jack's like, if turning me over to Vatic buys mom more time, then so be it. Especially if it puts an end to this conversation. Picard says that he deserves a trial. To turn him over betrays an old friend, but to harbor him risks the lives of everyone on the ship, including hers. And he only has 18 minutes to determine what they should do. And he walks out. Rafi goes some sketchy area. So she's going to um, talk to the Sneed guy. So she has her meeting. So she talks to him about brokering a deal for Portal Tech with Toluca. Um, she says they both know that he didn't pull the trigger because she works for Toluca, Toluco or something like that. And she wants to know who wanted to put the blame on her boss. And he's like, you smell like Starfleet. He's like, prove that you're not. And he gives her like some drug stuff. And she has to like spray it in her eyes and, and she does it. So he says he calls it splinter because it makes you feel like you're being pulled apart and back to put back together over and over and over. Then he asks, who does she work for? And, she, and she's like, I told you Toluco. He laughs. And he says that he knows that she doesn't work for him. He's like, you don't work for Toluco because this is Toluco. He has a severed head. Because he, he he knew that he would have to cover his bases when he, he's pinning it on him or something like that. So he says he will take her money because she put like some some stuff down or something like that to, to help bribe him, I guess, to get him talking. So he um, starts to take it, but then she grabs her and I think she like stabbed his hand or something like that. Men start getting attacked. And you start hearing, shing, shing. It's, like, it's like sword fight or something like that. So I was like, wait, is this Elnor his, in the sword? But Elnor is dead. And Rafi can't see what's going on. You, you see all this like movement going on because her vision's like all blurry because she's so drugged out now. And it turns out it's actually Worf. And he's going all badass on everyone. He helps her. He, he ends up like chopping Steve's head off, you know, with, with whatever is his thing. And then he like helps her, you know, Rafi walk away. He's like, I told you, do not engage. So Worf was her contact, apparently. Picard tries talking to Shaw, and he's just as brutal as usual. And he's like, how do we even know Jack is is your ex-girlfriend's son? You know, she's in the, in the med pod or whatever like that. And they have 15 minutes. Jack decides to get up. He asks the um, officer, you know, nearby. He's like, what's the power level of this force field? He's like, Federation says that, you know, I'm, I'm allowed to know. So I, I know the amount of damage it would I would take if I tried to escape or something like that. And the officer's like, level 10. He's like, go ahead, try it. You know, stick your tongue out in it. Jack's like, oh, thanks. And he turns his dial on his wristband and su- shuts it down momentarily. So I guess he had to know like how much to counter it, some whatever. He heads butts the officer and he runs out. Riker checks on how Beverly's doing. She's heavily sedated. And then he goes to wake her up, decides the doc's like, what are you doing? Shaw and Picard are bickering. Vatic hails them and she goes on, whatever. And she's like, oh, by the way, my ship's name's the Shrike, which is an earth word, you know, attacking, blah, 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 and uh, stuff like that. Then there's a security alert. There's a breach at the brig. Lock everything down. Seven finds out, um, finds him at the the transport bay. And, you know, he's he got a phaser from, from someone. He wants them to unlock the controls. 
Picard tells Shaw that if he wanted to try to run, he would have had for a shuttle. So like the only place he could transport to was there to the Shrike. So he's trying to turn himself over in the event that they wouldn't. He's like, he's protecting his mother. And Shaw's like, well, then let him go. He's like, unlock the transporter. Then Riker comes in helping Beverly and they like kind of stare at each other, you know, but then when she finally like locks eyes with Picard, I guess that confirms that Jack is Picard's son. So Picard yells out, he's like, belay that. He's like, Admiral's orders. He's like, lock it down. The shuttle's too. The boy stays here. And Shaw's like, you're going to get us all killed. He's like, why would you do this? And Picard's like, because he's my son. And Jack and Seven like lowered her face. So I think they must have heard this or something like that. Shaw's like, God damn it. He's like, tactical, full powers of forward shields. LaForge, get ready to fly. And he's like, stand by to execute commands. Whatever happens next, Admiral, it's on you. So Picard pats Shaw on the shoulder. And um, Picard, he, he on the comms, he, he says, I put Shrike on the screen. And she's like, oh, how very precise of you, Jean-Luc Picard. And your answer? He looks over at Beverly and he's like, engage. They fire a few torpedoes at the Shrike and then they turn and leave. Vatic laughs. <laughs> oh, follow him. <laughs> Shaw says that they're looking for a fight and he's like, they'll, Picard's like, they'll have to find us first. Into the, They fly into the nebula. Vatic stupidly keeps laughing. I, I just, I don't know. Her, her character just seems that it seems too cheesy. You know, like whatever. But, um, yeah, so there you go. So at least we got Worf now, and uh, uh, the truth is out about Crusher, I guess. So old dog Picard and Beverly hooked up and had a kid, and he never knew about it. It's like, can't someone have a kid and you don't tell him? Okay, then <laughs> this week's movie feature is Cocaine Bear. And uh, so this is a movie, when I, when I first heard about it, I'm like, what the heck is that? I didn't know anything about it. And at first, I, I was like, I, I was thinking that it was based off a comic, but I'm thinking like, was it Shirtless Bear or whatever that? There's, so I was like, what is Cocaine Bear? I was like, eh, I don't really want to see this. But there's nothing opening in theaters this week, so I'm like, all right, fine. Because then you know, I heard Elizabeth Banks directed it, and I heard Carrie Russell was was in it, and um, and and also this is Ray Ray Liotta. This is like one of his final performances. So I'm like, all right, I'll go see it. And uh, the, the funny thing is, when it, when I was in the theater, uh, you, and the, the the theater, they they I don't think they showed any previews because I was like two minutes in because it took so long to get my popcorn because I gotta get my popcorn, and I'm in my seat, and then um or, so I I go in like two minutes late and the, the credits are just on so I, it's just starting, and then, and then a couple minutes later. These people like walk up and I'm like, like I always go like straight in the back in the corner and you know, it's, it's especially when it's in like one of the smaller theaters. So, you know, it doesn't matter that you're in the back is people come up to me. like kind of walk in my face and, and I hear like, as I was like, wait, who is this coming in my face? I was like, are they, they going to ask me, you know, how long ago did the movie start? What, what seat am I? Cause you know, you, you pick your seats or something like that. And then they're like, we're here. Then I'm like, well, dude, I'm thinking in my head. I was like, go ahead, sit. I was like, you really, you bought a seat right next to me when there's, you know, the theater's not full. It turns out it was my daughter and her boyfriend. (laughs) Because I told them, it was they were home when I left. 
And I told him that I was going, because I, I told her boyfriend before that I was going to see this movie. And he's like, oh, yeah, I saw you know ads for it all over my feed or whatever. So they end up going to see it. So that, that was kind of funny. But anyways, so what is Cocaine Bearer about? It's it's a, a black comedy, I guess. And it's it's loosely based off a true story. So I, I guess in 1985 that this really happened or, or something similar to this, uh, a, a bear ingested like a, a bag of cocaine or something like that but it didn't do all this crazy stuff it didn't go on this this murder rampage or something like that so it starts off there's this uh some drug smuggler on on a plane and i think he's um he's hopped up on drugs because he's kind of like you know Oh, and the movie, you know, because it's set in the 80s, it's, it's had, it channels that 80s vibe. There's a lot of, like, cheesy 80s, like, synth synthesizer mu- music or whatever. So this guy's kind of, like, dancing around his plane, and he's, like, you know, got the bags of, of drugs or something like that. And then, uh, it, because he's dancing around so much, he's about to jump out of the plane. He hits his head as he's about to, to jump off, and then he ends up not pulling his shooting time or something like that. So he ends up dying. The cocaine falls out with him, but it must have gotten spread out. What was weird because this happened after there was this like opening scene. So this must have taken place first where you see this, this two, these two hikers, uh, you know, going out there, they're talking about their wedding. I think they're from Norway or something like that. And then they see this bear. So they're like, oh, get the camera or something like that. And then the bear is like banging his head against like a tree or something like that. And the, the dude's like, I think it's deranged or something like that. And she's like, oh, let me look. She's like, oh, no, it's cute. Or then they're talking some more. And all of a sudden, like the bear is like a lot closer and it attacks them. And then <laughs> you see like a severed like foot go flying. And so the thing is, it's it's uh, violent, but it, it's kind of like on a, the humorous side. If you're seeing a severed foot, it's like, come on. You know, you're not, it's not going for like pure violence It's going for more like the gruesome, awkwardly funny violence. Cause then, so then we see the, the, so I don't know, they, they, cause they mentioned later that the, the pilot has like certain places where they drop the drugs, like certain locations, I guess, drop points. So they must've dropped some of it before and the bear got it. And I, I was a little un- unclear in this, but then, um, the main story or how, how, so basically what, what happens uh, news comes out about the hikers getting attacked and or, or no 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 news comes out about the dead dude and some drugs so some bad like Ray Liotta he's like the big drug guy he wants the rest of his I think it was like 14 million dollars worth of cocaine so he wants the rest of his drugs because he's answering to someone else and so I need that so he's going to send a couple guys he's going to send this one guy to go get his son, but his son's like in a bad place. Cause I think his wife died or something like that. And, uh, so they have to go out there and, and try to track down, uh, the, the rest of the, the drugs in Knoxville, Tennessee. Meanwhile, Carrie Russell, she's like a, a single mom. She's a nurse and her daughter, you know, there, there's a little bit of tension there. So the daughter skips school. Cause she wants to go paint a waterfall or something like that. She goes with her friends. They're, they're going to go out to like the, the forest, the nature preserve to go to this waterfall. They come across the drugs and the bear and stuff like that. So then Carrie Russell's going after her bear. There's this ranger, there's these other kids and then the drug dealers show up and then there's this police officer who gets wind or there. Cause there's 
when a <laughs> the son and the one dude that was sent, they're talking in a bar. So someone heard heard them mention about the drugs. So the cop got wind of it, even though it's out of his jurisdiction. So you got all of this this setup for all these people to head to this nature preserve, and then you have this bear who's uh, drugged out. <laughs> and uh, so the the thing is like when the the bear can like somehow it's like immediately addicted to to the drugs, and for some reason the drug makes it super violent. So is this saying that if you take cocaine, if you do cocaine, take cocaine, if you do cocaine, you're going to become super violent and start killing. <laughs> but it's just, it's a little over the top. And <laughs> there's this one part, the bear goes flying. There's, there's part, the scene with the bear in the ambulance, that's all I'll say. Um, things just get like, just wacky over the top. But, you know, it, so there are some funny moments. Uh, I, I love the, par- the part that there's like these three teens that are terrorizing people around the, the, the nature preserve. But they're clearly not teenagers. So this is like typical, like, bad casting where, you know, you, you cast like people are like almost in their 30s as teenagers. So I'm pretty sure that was intentional. And it's just, yeah, so it's it's just like it kind of has like little elements of like the eighties movies, like the cliches and you know, this and that. So, uh, so it, it was okay movie. Now, is it as, as great as it may, may sound? Cause a lot of people are like, you know, this type of movie that a lot of people could embrace. Like, Oh, you gotta see cocaine bears. You know, this is gonna be absurd. It's gonna be crazy, whatever. It's a, it's, it's not like the best movie ever. You know, it, it was a fun movie as long as you know what it is. You know, this is it's a it's a ridiculous movie. It's it, that's totally what it, it's trying to be. It's not trying to be anything else. So, you know, don't go in with super high expectations. I actually didn't see a single trailer before this came out, because once I kind of had an idea what this was, I'm like, OK, I don't really want to see anything about this. And like, I didn't even know, like, uh, until like shortly before that Carrie Russell was. I love Carrie Russell. I was like, oh, Carrie Russell is awesome. I had no idea she was even in this movie. So, uh, yeah, I went in with zero expectations. I was like, this this is probably going to be a really bad movie. It was, you know, and it was better than I thought. There are some points where it it it's... Not not that it drags on, but it, it it's just it's a little uneven at times with with the, the the pacing of the movie, and some of the things are a little absurd. But that that's kind of like what happened in some of the '80s movies, where like some of the decisions like that the kids make or you know how things happen. So the the faults that you would kind of lay upon this movie, almost you could almost make the argument is like they're probably intentional to channel that 80s you know bad movie vibe so i don't know i mean yeah there's just some crazy things like at some points like wait how does a bear get from here to there whatever and 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 uh the fact that everyone's getting killed but like carrie russell's daughter wasn't killed was dragged away it's like why wouldn't the bear kill her why would the bear drag her away to a cave and you know why does she just leave the cave you know there's reasons but and then like the bear is at one place and then the bear is almost like, is, and it's like, wait, is there more than one raging cocaine bear? Because it's like, how could a bear be here and then there? And But I guess the cocaine makes the bear super fast because there's a part where it's like running down the road. <laughs> like, And I'm like, cr- like almost cracking up, like just the absurdity of it. So I, I thought they did a good job with it all, all around. You know, it's, it's cheesy. It, it was sad seeing Ray Liotta because you know especially this wasn't like the best role and you know he wasn't the best character you know and uh just yeah but 
it, so it was a fine movie. It, it was fun. It, you know, it wasn't great, but it, it was good. It was good enough. You know, that that's exactly what I wanted in a, you know, piece of entertainment. So I, is it something you need to see? Not necessarily. Uh, it's, it's, is it worth seeing? I would say, yeah. You know, if you have nothing else to do, you know, don't say, oh, you know, we got to go see this, whatever. But it's, it's, it's funny enough to, to see. And it's because we don't have a lot of stuff like this. You know, there's not a lot. You know, you look at like, oh, you know, people's like, we have all this, all these Marvel movies, all these, you know, or sci-fi movies, or this movie, or that, whatever. So it's something a little, little different, and I, I think it's good to, to kind of delve a little bit into absurdity and just to embrace all that. So uh, there's not really much else to say about this because you know I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, you know, further. But it was a, uh, so yeah, it, it was. It was it was fine. It was fun, um, better than I thought, and um, you know, not movie of the year, but it was it was funny. It was absurd and ridiculous, and that's exactly what you would want. So I would say you should see it. Go to matinee, maybe you know, wait till streaming. I don't know if you want to wait that long, but it's it's it, it has a potential to be like a a cult classic, you know, and I think that's probably what they're trying to to go for, but. So I would say, yeah, there you go. That's going to be it. That was the movie. That's a podcast. So big thanks to David McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Um, I just wrapped up doing... um, whatchamacallit, uh, X-Men The Hidden Years. And uh, I think next week, I think I might do a movie next week because there's one that I, I've been wanting to do. There's an off my mind I want to do. I feel like the off my mind is going to take a little more thinking. Um, so we'll see. But it'll be something a little different. And um, we'll probably do you know a couple things and then uh, maybe do another. I don't know what, what comic I'll do, what series I'll do that, but we'll, we'll figure something out. So, and as always, let me know if there's something you want to hear about on the, the, the bonus podcast. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right. So what's going to be next week? Next week, um, I'm trying to remember if there's any new, oh, we got Mandalorian, right? That, that starts up. I saw this article like, it's has lowest time ever and people are going to be upset and run time. And it's like 35 minutes supposedly. And people are like upset. It's it's like, whatever it's like 30. And it's like, you, do you want them just to do like a filler? Just a, you know, 35 minutes. That's all they needed. And, and yeah, there's probably like five minutes of credits or something like that, but I don't want it to be padded just to make people like, Oh, this should be 40 minutes. Should be, you know, 45 minutes. It's like, whatever. So we have that starting up. Um, I feel like there was something else. Um, I don't think Superman. I think Superman Lois is in a couple of weeks. Uh, but then the movie features me Creed three. Uh, I actually just watched Creed two last last weekend, not this week, last past weekend, weekend before, because I almost like I I, I told I, I maybe I'll save this for when when I talk about it. But yeah, so I forgot a lot of things and once i started watching i'm like oh yeah i remember this now but because at first i was like did i see creed 2 it's like i must have seen it so that'll be the movie feature for next week um 
that is going to be it. I hope you are doing well. I hope you uh, had a great week, or I hope you have a great week coming up. I hope you uh, are taking care of yourself, and I hope you remember to be good to each other.